0: You're listening to Secret Origins Annual Number 2, which tells of the Kid Flash, who became just the Flash, and the Flash before him, who became himself in the past. Paradise. Welcome to the Secret Origins Podcast, a review show dedicated to the Secret Origins comics published by DC in the 1980s. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and this episode is going to be all flash and substance, as my guests and I look at the Secret Origins Annual number 2, which featured the two fastest men alive we haven't talked about yet, Barry Allen and Wally West. My first guest this episode is a regular voice on the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast, and he's also the co host of First Strike, the Invasion podcast, both part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You know him as Bass. Welcome to the show, sir.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Thank you very much for being here. I'm a big fan of Lonely Hearts and First Strike. They're both terrific shows.
1: Cool. Thank you very much. I enjoy doing this, and thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I've had your co-host Siskoid, on the show a number of times, uh, but it's great to branch out and talk to more of you. Part of me was a little bit convinced that you were just all multiple personalities and voices living <laughs> in his head. So uh,
1: we're, we're kind of something like that, actually. <laughs> we ju- he drank something, and we just popped up. <laughs>
0: I'm sure I saw a movie like that once. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, if any of your dedicated fans from the Great White North are checking out Secret Origins podcast for the first time, uh, allow me to explain what this show is all about. Secret Origins was an anthology series published by DC Comics with each issue telling the origin of at least one hero or villain from the DC Universe. The series ran for 50 issues between January of 1986 and June of 1990, and also included three annuals and one special. All told, between the 54 comics with the Secret Origins banner, something like 120 stories were chronicled in this series. And here we reach another milestone in the series as we cover the second annual, which begins with a story about the current Flash, well, current in 1988, Wally West, now, Bass, you told me that Wally was your Flash. How or when did you discover the character?
1: I discovered the character. I was about, uh, I'd say, around ten years old. That's when I started really uh, reading stuff in English, because uh, I'm originally French, and I, I didn't really read the superhero comics till a bit later. And uh, I, I discovered Wally in uh, the Teen Titans, actually. Uh, this is where I got to know him because all I knew was really uh, Barry Allen's Flash yeah. before that. My, my dad kind of dabbled a bit with some comic books, but he's uh, more of a Marvelite. You know, he likes uh, the, the Fantastic Four and stuff like that. Um, we didn't go see the last movie though. Um,
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anybody did. That was part of the problem. I, he actually refused
1: to go. Yeah. I mean, but uh, that's another story. Uh, but yeah, he he used to be all that classic, you know, golden age, uh, well, uh, silver age, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. uh, superheroes. I got into the Teen Titans when I was younger, and that's where I met Wally. And I loved him off the bat. I I loved the costume. He was just a little bit different from the original Flash. You know, he had a bit more yellow and he had the hair, the the red hair going on. And uh, so that's where I met him. And afterwards, uh, the Titans were uh, like kind of a big tie in. They they were kind of omnipresent in the uh, crisis on Infinite Earths. So that's when Barry uh, left and Mm -hmm. Wally picked up.
0: Were you a regular collector of the Flash series after the Crisis, when when Wally was the the star?
1: Actually, I wasn't. Um, that's where I kind of stopped. I read some comics before uh, the Crisis, and after the Crisis, I kind of stopped reading. Uh, maybe because I was uh, <laughs> older, teenager, mm-hmm. and you know, girls started right. popping into my head, and you know, you kind of. Lean off to something else But when I got into university That's where I, I really got to be friends With Siskoid And uh, he had this stash Of comics Well this was crazy He had he, he had so many <laughs> comics And I would just go hang out with him And we'd talk comics for Hours And I basically binge read uh, Wally West's Flash From uh I'd say number 67 till 156 or something like that.
0: OK. So basically when Mark Wade was taken over.
1: It, exactly. I yeah. uh, That's when – well, that's when Wally ra- really uh-huh. took uh, the mantle. Yeah. Before that, he was just – I like to call the – the before that, he was kind of whiny Wally. Mm-hmm. I didn't really like him for a while. But uh, after the return of Barry Allen, that's when he really kicked butt.
0: Yeah. Did you ever watch the the Flash TV show in the nineties? Oh I, boy, I did I! It was only that one year, but
1: oh yeah, I, I really loved it. Also, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, I I really loved it. I, I wasn't uh, really I, I wasn't reading a lot of comics, so I didn't really get all the Easter eggs and all mm-hmm. that. you know. But I really enjoyed the Flash. I enjoyed that he was going really fast, and because in that time there wasn't a lot of superheroes on TV, and the those that were on TV were kind of Stupid.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> you
1: know. They, so uh the Flash was really awesome. I mean certainly so if, you, was... if you're
0: growing up from our generation, I mean this it was the year after Batman. That was the type of hero that I want to see in that Flash show. Exactly. Certainly had a little bit of that darker edge. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know, he had the the buffed up muscles and mm-hmm. everything. That was a bit over the top, but you know, it was the Early '90s, so I guess puffed-up muscles were a thing.
0: <laughs> it sure was. Yeah, I, I knew who the character was more or less from merchandising, from watching the Super Bowers TV show, the cartoon, and everything. Yeah. And just sort of having one of like the action figures. I kind of I knew who the Flash was, but like I hadn't been reading comics until right around the late '80s, early '90s, and even then, I was much more of a Marvel reader. So it, that Flash TV show was one of my first real experiences to the character, oh, okay. and I really liked the show. But I think I think ultimately it, it kind of came out at a really bad time. Like that was right around um, when the U.S. entered Operation Desert Storm and the first yeah. Gulf War, and that I my memory even as a kid was that that. News coverage preempted a lot of the shows I like to watch. Like the Flash, like was always—it felt like it was always losing its time slot. It was always changing. I could never find out. There was a Dark Shadows reunion show. Uh, That came out like in 1990. That I also think only lasted like 12 episodes because it kept losing its time slot to news coverage of the Gulf War.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of shows kind of well lost to the news back then, which is normal. I mean, but I mean, uh, it would have been fun if it was picked up again, or you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it kind of lost there. Yeah.
0: One of the first, probably the first Flash comic I got was the issue zero. From Zero Hour, which would have been 1994, 1995, I can't remember. And then it, w- it was kind of a while, but once I started really aggressively getting into DC Comics, I, I dove into the Jeff Johns era and then the Mark Wade era before that. And I just, I loved what they were doing with that character. They told some <laughs> amazing stories. Well,
1: I think that's one of the big things. I think really Mark Wade loved. The Flash. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he was a Flash fan. I don't really know. I didn't check anything out, but it just the story arcs were really solid. And then when Jeff Johns took over, I think he was kind of doing the same thing. He was because he created basically a Zoom, mm-hmm. uh, Hunter Solomon. Mm-hmm. So that that was great. That mm-hmm. was perfect.
0: I, I kind of felt like Johns used the Wally character in a sort of new, a little bit more sophisticated writing style yeah. to tell the type of stories that maybe Barry would have been doing in the Silver Age because, you know, John's brought back all of the rogues after a lot yeah. of them had been killed off. And yeah, and I, I think you're right when he said, like, Mark Wade had a great handle on the character, and he's even said this because for him, like, he, he mentioned this in an interview, he never expected to get a job working in comics. Like, he was, really? a, he was an avid comic book fan, and a lover of this, but he never thought he would have that job. And then one day he gets to be an editor, but then one day he actually gets to write a comic, and it's the story of The Flash. And what he was going through paralleled the story of Wally, who was this teenage sidekick who looked up to and adored his mentor, the Barry Allen Flash. Well, that Flash dies, and Wally inherits the suit. And Mark Wade just said he, he felt the connection. He was he was writing a lot of himself in that situation. It was easy for him to transcribe the sense of uh, a necessary maturity, a necessary jump, but also the fear of not being good enough. Um, yeah. And, and put a lot of that into his stories. So,
1: yeah, well, that was basically what it was about. And just a little bit afterwards, then it's all about coming into your own, you right, know, right. being your own self. And- right. And going further as your own self, because uh well we'll see when uh, we talk about the uh, secret origins uh, annual number two yeah it, it takes place it's a it's kind of an odd story in an odd setting it does, but.
0: and we will get to that in a second. Um, uh, let me do a quick publication history for anybody who wants to follow along with this character, and as always, if I leave something out, bas, please jump in and correct me. Wally West made his debut in Flash, issue 110, which came out back in 1959. I was amazed to realize that. His first story predates the formation of the Justice League of America. Uh, He first appeared in a story called Meet Kid Flash, and that was his status for two decades. Kid Flash, the teen sidekick to the Silver Age Flash. He appeared in 15 issues of Flash throughout the early 1960s, until he popped up again in Brave and the Bold 54, alongside Robin and Aqualad to form the Teen Titans. After two more trial issues in Brave and the Bold 60 and Showcase 59, the Teen Titans got their own ongoing series with Kid Flash among them. Throughout the 70s, Kid Flash appeared with the Teen Titans and made guest appearances in Flash, Brave and the Bold, DC Comics Presents, and Secret Society of Super-Villains. In 1980, Wally West helped found the new Teen Titans in the seminal run by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. His career took a dramatic change when his mentor, The Flash, died during the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Wally West assumed the costume and the identity of the Scarlet Speedster around the time of the Legends miniseries. After that, a brand new Flash ongoing series launched with Wally in the red suit. This new series began with Mike Barron writing, but after about a year, William Mesner Loebes took over and wrote the book for about 45 issues. This Flash series ran... Get it? Ran... (laughs) For nearly 250 issues, with some signature eras written by the Secret Origins editor, Mark Wade, eventual chief creative officer of DC Comics, Jeff Johns, and the writing team of Scottish hooligans, Grant Morrison, a notorious cult leader, and Mark Millar, who slummed in comics just so he could sell his intellectual properties to Hollywood. During the Infinite Crisis, Wally appeared to die, but ran into the future where he had two children with his wife, Linda Park. Shortly thereafter, Barry Allen returned from the dead in the pages of Final Crisis. And after that, Wally West was kind of shoved into the background for about five years while DC focused on Barry. Wally did eventually pop up in the New 52 Flash series, but I'm pretty sure he died in issue 35 or something. And I believe the character was finally introduced in the new Flash TV series, where they have recast him uh, as a young black man instead of a young white man. Uh, did I leave anything out of the uh, the publication history?
1: No, that sounds about right. It right. sounds about right. Uh, I'm kind of I, I was thinking that I was talking about the Teen Titans earlier, but it's really the New Teen Titans because in the Teen Titans, when, when the title was only Teen Titans, it was only you know. Uh, uh, Wonder Girl, Robin, Kid Flash and Aqualad and Speedy. also. And, Speedy, but, yep, yep. And, and there was always this thing where Robin and Speedy were always fighting for who was going to be the leader. And, <laughs> and Wally was this lovesick kid. I, I, I got these like anthology things, like the, the, uh, the showcase anthologies or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the DC and I just ripped through them. They were great. These old time weird comic books. I just love those. Crazy ideas and crazy villains. I mean, and, and it was always funny because uh, the, the Teen Titans back then, they all had these little Toyota scooters. <laughs> and they were all like on these little Toyota scooters. And I, I never understood why Wally rode those. He could just run. I just – I didn't get it.
0: He just want to fit in.
1: I know. Just to Peer pressure. <laughs> Poor kid.
0: All right, folks. Uh, we are going to take a short promotional break right now. But we will be back in a flash. Get it? With the secret origin of Wally West.
2: Starting in December 2015, a new epic mega series, Trentis Magnus Punches Reality, proudly presents Batman v Superman, a 13 part miniseries from
3: Trentis Magnus Punches Reality, John M. Wilson,
2: and Magnus
3: shine a spotlight on a crapload of Batman comics
2: and a crapload of Superman comics. All as preparation for the theatrical release of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice And once that's all over
3: we'll take a five hour long look back at 2013's Man of Steel.
2: Finally, we will come together again to discuss our thoughts on the Batman v Superman film.
3: So join Magnus and John as they recount the adventures of Batman and Superman in comics.
2: All is preparation for Batman and Superman's first adventure in
3: live-action feature film. The adventure begins in December 2015.
2: Batman v Superman.
3: Only at 2 twotruefreaks.com. Batman Vs. Superman, a 13-part miniseries from Trentus Magnus Punches Reality.
2: Only at twotruefreaks.com
0: Secret Origins Annual Number no. 2 sported a 1988 cover date. Specifically, the book would have gone on sale on May 10th of that year, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. The issue cost $2 for 64 pages of story. The cover features both versions of The Flash, Wally and Barry, sort of. Wally was drawn by Michael T. Collins, who prior to this cover penciled issues 13 and 14 of The Flash series, the final two issues in Mike Barron's run. The berry image was drawn by Carmen Infantino, who created the Silver Age Flash, and inked by Murphy Anderson. Listeners, if you've never seen this cover, you're going to have to check out the supplemental images post over on the Fire and Water website, because I'm not sure how to describe it. Bast, how, des- how would you describe what's going on on this cover?
1: I would describe it as being a horrible cover. Uh, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. Uh, it's, we have like two superimposed flashes, Mm -hmm. but they're not completely superimposed. They're like, it's like they have this weird market. Like if you were supposed to look at them through some kind of secret decoder, I don't know what it, I don't know what's going on. And I'm not really sure that's Barry and, and Wally because they, they have a, a lot of differences in their costumes. And these look like two times Barry because uh, Wally doesn't have the little wings on his boots. Right, uh, he has the pointy belt. And in the early times when Wally took up the mantle, he had like all white eyes. You didn't see his eyes. Mm-hmm. So this is two times Barry, basically. Yeah, I think I think they were rushed.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do too. I I think I know what they were going for. I mean, it's it's we got. I guess Wally is supposed to be. The central image, but it's really not. It's, it's not. It's like both characters somehow somehow they have two characters who are both in the background. Exactly, and we have I, no character in the foreground.
1: There's nothing in the foreground. There's like a, an arm. There's an arm. Yeah. and a and a piece of leg. Yeah, and know. a piece of boot. I don't know.
0: And and like yeah, you're like the the berry image, which is sort of. It yeah, it looks like it's 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 through like shutters, like it's broken up like a static kind of ghost image I, I that know. would be I, like stuck if your TV was left on too long. <laughs> that that doesn't that doesn't seem like the effect he would have if he was running. Like that doesn't say super I know. speed to me.
1: Well, maybe uh, maybe I, I was thinking maybe it's because of the conventions we have now, how we see things running right, right. or how the speed lines are supposed to go and how I don't know manga kind of influenced everything. Sure. I'm thinking maybe it's this, – this predates Photoshop, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
0: It's a vision. It is an intention far exceeding the reach of what they were able to do practically so. with the with the artistic conventions or technology of the time.
1: I think so. I think yes. so. But, I mean, if, if I saw this, I, I don't know what the other covers looked like, uh, but most of them didn't look like this. Oh. And I'm thinking I don't know if I would have picked it up based on the cover. Because there's really nothing there. But then again, like I said, that the story is kind of in a weird setting. So, I, I don't know.
0: And if it was just Barry like that in the background, but we could clearly see the the front flash, which I think is supposed to be Wally. You're right. He's, yeah. he's wearing the old Barry's costume. Yeah, exactly. I, my memory is it, it took him a little bit longer to get like the pointy, triangular-shaped yellow lightning on the belt. But I, I don't remember when this was. So – but but even still, like you're like, – why does it look like just part of – like half of him is shining through and the other – I don't know.
1: If, if I was to do the cover, because I don't do covers and if I was to suggest a cover, uh, I'd probably do something like some kind of Rorschach uh, imagery mm-hmm. with like seeing like a definite Wally on one side and like a Barry on the other. But in a rorschach design type thing – not Rorschach, the, the comic book. I uh, think the Rorschach tests, you know, the ink blots.
4: Mm-hmm. I'd
1: probably do something like that because that would reflect at least what we're going to see in the, in the comic book.
0: <laughs> I just – my wife overheard us talking about this and I, I showed her the cover and she said, I didn't think I was that drunk. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it kind of looks like. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, folks, if you haven't seen the cover, go to the Fire and Water website and check out the uh, sample pages because I'm going to have this cover uh, laid out for the post on this. Um, all right. Let's move on. Are you ready to tell our listeners the origin story of Wally West?
1: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So this is The Secret Origins annual number two starring The Flash. And, uh, well, the, the story is named The Unforgiving Minute, which is, I think, uh, takes longer than one minute. And it was written by William Messner Loeb. Mike Collins was penciling. Frank McLaughlin and Donald Simpson were inkers. Albert de Guzman, letterer, Carl Gafford, colorist, and kid editor, I'm not sure what that means, but thank God he was there somewhere, Mark Wade, And Kid Flash is created by John Broom and Carmine Infantino. Uh, the story takes place where Wally goes to see a psychoanalyst which is which is kind of cool <laughs> Wally is well has a lot of issues right now at this point in his career as the flash, and they basically talk about what's going on. Wally basically doesn 't have the speed he used to have when he was kid flash earlier the earlier kid flash, and uh, doesn 't really understand why uh, he talks a bit about Barry how Barry was great, could you know lift airplanes just by running around and everything. Then we get into how his family was when he was younger. And uh, at this point, this is this is where I kind of enjoyed it because it's kind of new to me now because I had the other origin story in my head. But this is this is great. He's a young kid around 10 years old living in Blue Valley. It was great. He had a great family, played a lot with his parents, got along. Everything was peachy keen. Once in a while, went to see his uh, Aunt Iris in Central City, and Aunt Iris knows everybody, including The Flash. While he's a big fan of The Flash, she loves him. And she uh, sets up a meeting. He was <laughs> apparently the president of the fan club in Blue Valley and only member, which is something I don't think is true. Probably a lot of kids loved The Flash back then. I would think. Uh, especially if he's real in the comics. So and Especially
0: if he's based in like a town that's like a half an hour from where you live.
1: I know. I'd be all over The Flash. So uh, he meets Barry Allen for the first time and Barry introduces him to the Flash. He plays both characters in this and, uh, you know, they just talk for hours and have fun and Barry shows off a little bit and talks about how he became the Flash. And for some odd reason, Barry has has a home laboratory because he does everything from home, I'm guessing, and an odd lightning bolt just crashes in and douses Wally with all the same chemicals and gives him basically the same origin as Barry. He becomes fast, but he just jumps right into it. He's fast and he's powerful right away. And he has all the same powers as Barry and everything is going great. At this point in the story, we come back to the setting, which is uh, the psychoanalyst, Dr. O. Slade, that's in his office. And they talk about how he became the Kid Flash, And how he did things like catch zoo animals back home and everything. And how he became part of the Teen Titans. Well, after Barry gave him a suit, which was exactly the same as Barry's. So the Flash and Kid Flash were basically indistinguishable. Is that a word? (laughs) I think so. They're basically the same. Only Kid Flash was smaller. Barry kind of goes 1950s superman all of a sudden on, on, on Wally, where he tells him, you know, you're a fast kid, but you're not as fast as me and you're never going to be fast as me. And, and then Barry does this, you know, running around and lifting him off the ground trick just to show him that he's still faster. So Barry kind of, you know, Barry kind of goes alpha male on him. And then he talks about how Barry gave his life to save the universe in Crisis on Infinite Earths and uh, how Wally had to then leave the Titans, which was something he loved, to become the new Flash. After a while, they're still talking about how uh, Wally loved being Kid Flash and how everything and now becoming the Flash is kind of hard. And we we get to know that or we, we find out that his dad was a Manhunter and was part of an alien invasion. And that was kind of weird. I don't remember that from the original origin, but eh, it's all all right. (laughs) And then uh, the psychoanalyst, Dr. Slade, asks what happened to the costume? How did you go from Barry's original costume or something exactly the same to something very different? And then we explain how that happened. And it kind of happened by magic. Uh, Well, it wasn't magic. It was future alien technology. But all of a sudden, uh, something happened and Barry was... Playing on this controly matter control thing, and then Wally came in running. And Barry, there's this iconic where Barry has this his hand towards Wally, and then there's this lightning bolt coming out of Barry's symbol, and it transforms Wally's costume into the iconic yellow and red with the large lightning bolt, the red lightning bolt on the the front there, and he became a Kid Flash as we knew him in. The Titans, etc. And from there, Dr. Slade starts, I think, analyzing a little bit. He goes on to saying that, you know, Barry, Barry was so great that he'd probably be disappointed in how Wally became the Flash, uh, how he's living up to the name and and how he just he wanted to quit at one point. And of course, we are asking the question, what? Quitting? Why would Kid Flash want to quit when he wanted to go to college, which is important and and actually a smart thing to do because Wally fell into it, you know Barry was this uh, c s i type guy, mm-hmm. and Wally just fell into being kid flash he never he never got really an education, he wasn't a scientist like Barry was, and you know even if Barry had all these flash facts and everything, you know he wanted to grow a little bit into his own and so he wanted to quit and, you know, Barry was kind of disappointed. He wanted to quit. And so he's talking about all, all these, you know, issues where Barry was eh, maybe not hard on him, but he thought that Barry was right for being disappointed in him. Then the doctor goes into, I don't know what you, you call that, when he starts giving him uh, some exercises
4: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, he asks – basically asks ba- uh, Wally – How many people have you saved since you've been The Flash? And uh, Wally goes, why? And he goes, well, I just need to know. And he he says, 172. And from this point on, he basically tells Wally, you know, you saved 172 people and you're just going to shrug that off? You're just going to not recognize this as being your own? What's wrong with you? And, well, he didn't say what's wrong with you, but uh, you know he's he's trying to convince Wally that maybe Wally is setting barriers for himself in this thing. He's he's looking towards Barry too much and not looking towards himself enough. And there's this quote where the doctor says, "If you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, and then Barry, uh, not Barry, but Wally is like, ooh, this this sounds like Barry." And the doctor tells him it's part of a poem he memorized in high school. It's a recipe for being successful, moral, and a man. So at this point, Wally's in this reflection. And we, we never see Wally becoming the Flash in this comic. It's all going on in the office or the, the where, they, where they talk. And then Dr. Slade talks about imposter syndrome, where he thinks that maybe Wally has imposter syndrome, where he... Wally basically thinks that he can't do what Barry could do as the Flash. So he thinks that he's a fraud. And that's what's stopping him from being maybe great. And this is one of those parts where you say, huh, this is this touched something inside Wally. Because, you know, when they leave one, there's this one panel with no dialogue. Mm -hmm. They're just looking at each other. And that's like an important little thing, because that's a, you know, Wally's. Thinking about this And maybe the person that's You know, stopping Wally From being faster From being as good as Barry Is actually Wally So that's basically how it happened Uh, The doctor always also tells him That maybe the change happened When the costume changed Uh, Because when Barry changed the costume Because apparently Barry changed uh, Subconsciously Wally's costume when he transformed it, because he was, you know, scared that maybe Wally would be in danger because he looked like the Flash. Wally saw that as, you know, Barry's Flash didn't want Wally to be like him. And that's why everything changed in his head. But basically, he's telling him, you're as fast as Barry. Maybe you should let Barry be dead, and maybe you should be the Flash because you are the Flash. And the hour's up. That's it. They they talked for an hour, and maybe Wally'll be back, but I don't know. I think Barry uh, Wally's going to be uh, great from this point on.
0: And the story ends the last page. We have the Rudyard Kipling poem.
1: Yeah, exactly. That they
0: were quoting "If," which describes how to grow up and be a man, which is very much what this story is about. So yeah, yeah good, exactly. good. Thank you. Um, what did you think of this story?
1: Uh, the the stories well I mean it's a story about two people talking about stuff so mm-hmm. it's not an adventure story it's an ad- it's a, a reminiscing type story which is fine it's kind of a, a synopsis or a run through of how he came to be the Flash and where he's going to go from here which is also great um, of course I kind of knew all of this so when I was reading it I was like yeah okay yeah and uh, there were these little changes to his origin you know because way back when uh, because I knew Kid Flash existed before we talked about it you know before he changed his costume and everything and I saw the original and the original origin (laughs) this is kind of funny saying the origin the first origin of Wally West becoming the Flash was basically you know this kid comes over gets doused he's Kid Flash Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was kind of uh, you know it's kind of too simple but you know, I
0: mean, it was it was a, such a such a problem, such a contrivance that it was one of the reasons why DC Editorial explained they wanted to bring back Barry Allen, because like when Dan Dio took over, he had this hard line of like let's keep these characters as simple and iconic as possible. And when somebody says who is the who is the Flash, it's like well he's Wally West. He used to be the sidekick. How did he get his powers? Well, he got them in the same way that Barry Allen got them. Well, then yeah. just tell stories about Barry Allen if Wally's a yeah. copy of it.
1: Well, basically that's what they're doing now because mm-hmm. Barry when, – when Barry became The Flash and I mean I, I kind of get it because back then, The Flash exists – I mean it's been 75 years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 75 years ago, you couldn't complicate things too much. Superheroes became superheroes and they were like powerful right away. They knew how to do stuff. I mean uh, Barry could – phased through walls the first day he got his powers (laughs) so that's i mean he never learned to. he always knew it he always could do these things uh whereas wally had to learn everything Mm -hmm. everything everything and and that's one of the things i loved about uh wally west's run (laughs)
4: uh,
1: is uh, he always remembered these flash facts he, he used to say like when I was on, on missions with Barry, he would give me these flash facts and, and these flash facts were, were great. Stuff like the faster you go, the more mass you get and, and that's basic science. I mean your mass increases as your speed goes. That's, that's how it works. So he could do the massive punch and knock right, out right. maybe Superman or a Superman type uh, villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, these kinds of things you know you could phase through things because there's empty space in hard material so he could do that and all, so Wally always had to learn his powers whereas Barry just knew him. right now, like what that's one of the things with the 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 TV show i mean the TV show is great i love it and i think one of the reasons why i do love it it's because Barry is learning how to use his powers and you know the whole first season it's about learning to use your powers mm-hmm. and he's still learning in the second se- in in second season and he's still becoming better and that's basically what we saw happening with uh, Wally
0: mm-hmm. and part of it is just the nature of the times when you're talking about the golden or the silver oh, age yeah. when these characters were created yeah, you're absolutely right they just they didn't have time to do that in depth they needed just the characters were pretty much fully formed once they got yeah. their their costumes
1: and that's fine I mean yeah. we, I don't hate Barry for you know knowing how to use his powers off the bat I mean it's just that with uh, someone like Wally, it's fun to see somebody learning new tricks, you know, and learning how to use them, and 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 maybe even going where. Because I always wanted to be a speedster. If if I could have any power in the world, it would be speed. Because he could do, you know, all kinds of things. He could do whirlwinds. He could go fast. He could, you know, go back in time, go forwards in time. He could. Speed was great.
0: And I think a lot of what they were doing with some of these new legacy characters in the 80s and 90s, like when they introduced Wally, when they had Kyle Rayner become the new Green Lantern, I think they borrowed a lot from the Spider-Man model. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. Because, I mean, mean, as a teenager, I I used to read a lot of DC comics, but I loved Spider-Man because I could relate.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they, they give this character a lot of pathos. So when the new Flash series took over... You're starting him with this position of he's taken on this new responsibility. He doesn't have the guilt that Spider-Man had over Uncle Ben's death, but he has this other thing, which the doctor eventually diagnoses as this imposter syndrome. He doesn't feel like he's worthy of this, and he has to become a man, as the unforgiving minute describes. And and it's it's a really cool story, and it's actually – it's something that I noticed in – with this origin, and it seemed like something that a lot of new writers would do when they took over. Is certainly Mark Wade did it for the first story arc when he when he began his run, and it's this year one style casting the Barry Allen Flash with a really long shadow, yeah, or, the, or that that Flash casts a really long shadow, and seeing how these characters can ever measure up to it. And and I tell, you know, people who love Barry Allen should read a lot of Wally West stories because there're so many love letters to the oh, Barry Allen one. Like all definitely. of these stories are about how great, how amazing Barry Allen was. How can you ever live up to this guy? Exactly. And, so, and of course not. And that's why you get like what I was describing. Mark Wade. you know, he When he took on that character, he felt like he was writing somebody who was very much like himself, somebody who got to be in the position that he always idolized but never thought he could actually do. And this story uh, was written by William Mesner Loebs. This was like his second or third published Flash story. He had just taken over the book from Mike Barron with issue 15. That came out the month before this issue of Secret Origins. So. I think part of this origin story was him getting a handle on the character that he would use to spring his run going forward.
1: Absolutely. I mean, write what you know, right?
0: Exactly. So you start off this position with, am I a fraud? Can I do this Herculean thing with all these eyes on me? It also might have been a, a concession to the fans who grew up reading and loving Barry Allen and who were kind of pissed off that he was killed in crisis and now having to see this other guy wearing the costume and yeah, it's like, well I, uh, well maybe we'll tell the story where it's like we're kind of meeting you halfway. You're saying, Yeah, this guy doesn't measure up. He's got a lot to do. But follow us and you might learn to like this guy too. Well
1: uh, that's that's the thing, because Wally Wally thinks exactly the same thing as the fans the Flash fans did. Mm-hmm. So he's he's basically being his own judge and he's he's looking at himself through the eyes of the reader, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And and then he kinds of he kinda, you know, grows and, and, and there's this homage to every other speedster that was. I mean, in the Mark Wade run, uh Jay Garrett comes back and he's important. He's not mm-hmm. just like a little he's he's training Wally. And and other guys come over. I mean, Max Mercury comes in and he's a guru of the speed force, which basically was created then yeah. i'm thinking yeah think. uh this old speed force thing is created then and they even kind they even got a johnny quick in there with the magic formula
4: mm-hmm.
1: or the 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 map mat formula that it's kind of a, obscure and weird and you can and when you you try to figure it out you, it gives you super speed which is basically tapping into the speed force so i i i love all these old speedsters trying to help this new guy being as good as the one that everybody loved. It's wonderful.
0: Right. During your synopsis, you kind of picked up on it. The whole kind of forced and awkward, they, they had to shoehorn it in, but the revelation that Wally's dad was one of the Manhunter sleeper robots, yeah. which was connecting to the Millennium event that just happened a few months before this, it was Oh, okay, I wish we could just skip over and forget about that. <laughs> well, it's
1: it's not really important. That's the thing; it's not really important. I think it's it was kind of one of these things where somebody probably told him, "Hey, you you better mention that his dad was a manhunter in this book," mm-hmm. and it kind of feels like that. It feels kind of forced. They mention it twice in in the story, and
0: and the only know. reason it really would be relevant was if they acknowledged the disappointment that his father was this sort of traitor, the sleeper agent. And Barry became his new surrogate father figure, but the order is reversed because he yeah. didn't know about his father's revelation until uh, like a week before this story takes place. Exactly. Basically so, in the comic book time.
1: It, yeah. In the, in the chronology there, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't fit. So it's there, but you know, it's, it's not really important So that's yeah. why we don't really, uh, we don't really hammer it in. But I think that's what they wanted to happen, right. that his disappointment and then Barry kind of took over as the dad, but Barry's all Barry was always like the cool uncle Mm -hmm. or something like that. So he wasn't really, I think he was kind of a dad, a superhero dad, but not really a dad, dad.
0: Yeah. Jumping back a little bit when we were talking about Wally's original origin being, essentially a cloned origin just taking the exact same situation as Barry. Yeah. Which they say lightning never strikes twice, but ha-ha, yes, it does. It, it does the well, exact same thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean even Barry's origin mm. kind of changed because it's a, it's a time paradox. Right. He's the one that created himself. Right. We'll set that up
0: in the next story, yeah. Yeah. But the whole thing with him, with Kid Fash, originally having the exact same costume as, as Barry, just being like a junior version – I think that was probably Julie Schwartz and the editorial team basically doing with Flash what they had done with Superboy is just casting a miniature version of their hero to appeal to younger readers or a different, or a different set of readers. They didn't want him – I mean they they didn't want him to be really different at all. He would just have – Instead of fighting, you know, criminals and bank robbers with cold guns, he's rescuing bears from, from the exactly, zoo. exactly.
1: I think that was probably the 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 idea was to get younger readers, and that was really the idea be, uh, behind the Teen Titans, the original Teen Titans, because right, right. uh, it was really you know simple stories, and it kind of got complicated later on with the Titans, where you know Hawk and Dove got in there, and sure. there were teen anks and and you know and the new teen, teen titans were i mean that was kind of complex also with the raven and and, right. and trigon and everybody uh, but uh, wally was always kind of we didn't know him mm-hmm. that's what the that's what the thing is it, we didn't really know him and and the new origin kind of you know brings him a little bit of individuality maybe mm-hmm. i don't know uh hopefully a little bit of individuality
0: yeah the uh no pun intended but the flashier costume that kid flash got in in teen titans was was pretty cool but it seemed like in those early stories like you said it was robin and speedy vying for leadership and for authority um wonder girl as the the token sort of female character
1: yeah well she was was basically created for this for the teen titans if i'm if if i'm she, not mistaken.
5: She
0: was and her creation created a whole other set of problems because the creator thought she was just a younger version of Wonder Woman, which threw their <laughs> entire timeline off and they had to retcon her origin years after the fact. But. Yeah. So yeah, so then we get to this whole kind of concept and the doctor comes to this a couple of times where Barry Use this, and you kind of describe it. It's almost magical, but it's kind of future science. And then yeah. you get to that whole thought, like, well, any sufficiently advanced technology would appear as science, uh, would appear as magic. To well,
1: that was abracadabra's yeah. thing, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was from the 30th century. Right?
1: And he was a, a flash. That's why I, I, I no, suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. off the bat, right there, because you know abracadabra was fighting the flash, and that's what abracadabra did. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm I'm fine with that. <laughs>
0: so he changes kid flash's costume yeah. but then maybe according to the doctor he also implants this sort of subliminal block in Wally's head and basically because because Barry was such a responsible man and a scientist like he he needed to sort of protect Wally perhaps from himself and protect the world from him because as you point out, Wally was just a kid when he got these powers by a freak accident. He wasn't a fully formed individual. He didn't have the years of experience, the yeah. scientific background, the police training, everything that Barry had that made him such a responsible, dependable, forthright, righteous superhero. Wally's he's a teenage kid with hormones and issues going on. What's to stop him from going to the dark side, essentially, if we can cross our uh, yeah. our, our franchises a little bit? So Barry kind of set up this psychic barrier to protect this, and, and maybe that's what happened, maybe not. That's what the doctor suspects, and he's like, you're going to have to get over this barrier because you're the only one standing in your way now that Barry's gone. You're, it, you're right. It's, for being a character that is all about speed and motion, it's interesting that this whole story is just a conversation in a psychiatrist's office.
1: It really is, it and we, really I mean, is. we
0: get the we get the flashes, we get the uh, flashes, huh. We get the little the scenes of of the background, we get the exposition like shown in flashbacks and these little vignettes. But this is a very soft, a very quiet, and a very slow story. That's just about a guy having to what he's going to eventually have to do, which is grow up and stop living in the shadow of his mentor and and come to terms with himself. And that's what Wally West's story has always been about, is outrunning, stopping, quitting the race that he feels like he has to run against Barry and just, you know, chart his own course.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very poetic. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. But yeah, that's exactly what it is because he's running alone at the end. Yeah. yeah. I, I always thought I, I really like the cool costume. You know, and I, and I kind of get it that uh, it was to protect a Wally, mm-hmm. but it's kind of odd and, and just a little bit odd that the Wally costume, the, the original Kid Flash costume, looked so much like Professor Zoom's costume. Right. You know, it, it was a lot of yellow, a lot of reverse flash in there. Mm-hmm. And maybe somewhere somebody said, maybe he could go to the dark side, he could become a villain. And they kind of played with, maybe, maybe they should have played a bit more with that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it would have been fun. I'm just saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Okay, any other thoughts about this story?
1: Well, this story was, I mean, it's a nice recap of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think uh, what's to come after this is uh, Mark Wade is going to step in and take Wally everywhere. And make him become the Flash, and, and and this is a nice stepping point if you if you want to, you know, know a, a bit about Wally before he became a great Flash. This is where you start. You don't have to read all the whiny Wally stuff <laughs> that was before this and this and after this. You can just well. Actually, you know what? There's this uh, when when Mark Wade jumped on the Flash, mm-hmm. and he started. Uh, what was it? It was uh, Born to Run. Yep. Their year one. This is like the origin story of Wally. Yep. And the, the new origin and uh, how Wally started up being the Kid Flash. I mean, I'd start probably there because yep. that's a great little. It's a four issue uh, miniseries. It was great.
0: It's sort of an expansion of this story and the ideas in this story. Yeah, exactly. Because, because it's. Part of that story is a love letter to Barry Allen, and and the same kind of feelings of Barry casting this long shadow and and having to outrun that, but you do see him becoming the man by the end of that story. So it's it's very similar idea.
1: Yeah, it is. It is, and it, it's just a bit. It, we don't. We're not in a in an office. You know, we're seeing it, and it's it's probably a bit better. But then afterwards, um, we could just jump into the return of Barry Allen. The return of Barry Allen starts with a Christmas special, which I love. I'm a Doctor Who fan
4: mm-hmm. and
1: Christmas specials is my thing. And, <laughs> and it starts with uh, a great little comic book called Dashing Through the Snow. And Wally is with uh, Jay Garrick in this one. And this is when uh, Barry Allen basically comes back for Christmas. And everything we saw up to there kind of shatters again. Wally starts feeling like he shouldn't be the Flash anymore because Barry's back and and all that storyline, the return of Barry Allen. It's very 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 good. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, well, I liked it. If you like Wally, if you want to know Wally a bit more, uh, this is a great storyline because this is where all the other speedsters come into play. Right. Coming play, you know, and and, and there's a the fight with Barry, and after a while. You know, you you find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could. I should spoil this. I mean, it's uh, like a twenty five year year <laughs> old okay. spoiler. It's,
4: it's okay.
1: But we find out that actually it's not Barry coming back. It's Professor Zoom and the original Professor Zoom, which is uh, Ebert Thon, yep. and uh, he's and he's even more pissed off because you know he's not even. F- Fighting Barry, he's fighting Wally, and he sees him as this kid, and he he kind of nails that in, you know. He's it's like you're just a you're just a kid. You're not even the, the good Flash here, and you know everybody fights him. Jay gets to fight him. Uh, Max gets to fight him, and at the end, well, you know, Barry w- and Wally wins. No, w- and I think that was one of the uh, important points in Wally becoming great. Is that he actually won against the the greatest villain that Barry ever fought? Mm-hmm. So that's great. That's a that's a must read for anybody who wants to read some some Wally
6: West.
0: Yeah, I was really hoping. Part of me is surprised, and part of me is not surprised at all, in that DC hasn't collected or put out more trade paperbacks of the Wally West Flash run. Now that like the Flash is such a popular character on television, yeah. but it seems like they're really distancing themselves from Wally and only focusing on Barry stories. Well, well uh, except, yeah. Except except for the Wally stories that were written by Jeff Johns because he's the CEO <laughs> or CCO, I guess. So yeah. it seems like okay, those ones they'll reprint his era because he's fighting the same rogues that well. are popping up on the TV show. But the Mark Wade run is mostly out of print. I think the whole thing. The whole thing might be collected digitally now. If you go on Comicsology, if you if you read comics digitally, you can probably find those. But yeah, probably. I think like I'm surprised the like the first year by Mike Barron, the William Mesner Loeb stuff around this time, and that Mark Wade run. I would love to see more of that collected, especially the Mark Wade run. I mean, oh yeah, y- you're right. But, for a little but, while, it was still the whiny Wally kind of yeah. But uh, but yeah, I would definitely love to see more of that stuff coming out.
1: But thing is, uh, the the new Wally, the Wally from the new Fifty Two, and the Wally that's on the TV show. I mean, I I like him. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't not like him. But he's not the Wally that I know. The Wally that I know is actually Barry, right? You know. So, so I
0: I've, I've made that point too. I think Barry in the TV show is much more like Wally West. He has much he more of those those anxieties, the self doubt, the nuance. And I thought that the character in the first season of Eddie Thawne. Yeah, I thought he was a lot more like Barry. Than,
5: actually, yeah, <laughs> like,
0: like as Barry was written in like the Silver and Bronze Age, he was much more of a straightforward, righteous police officer, going to do good, kind of. Yeah, and he a little had, bit, he, a little bit uptight. <laughs> I
1: mean, yeah, and that, he looks like Barry. Yeah, yeah, he, he does. He's blonde, you know, blue eyes, mm-hmm. good-looking guy. He he was basically Barry. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, yeah. So uh, that's why, and, and that's why I actually love the TV show because I'm seeing. Barry Allen living basically Wally's life, <laughs> which is everything I loved. Right. right. So you know that's why the the, the TV show is great.
0: It is. I, I'm at the time that we're recording this, I am uh, four episodes behind. I, I haven't seen anything after the Legends of Tomorrow Prelude crossover okay. with Arrow. So I'm. I'm a couple episodes behind, so I, I actually I haven't seen Wally yet on the show. Oh, really? Um, his first appearance is like the first episode that I haven't seen yet.
1: Well, so, we we seem to be building. We seem. I mean, at this point, the show seems to be building towards uh, some kind of mega speedster mm-hmm. showdown uh, versus Zoom and yeah, and, and th- this new Zoom. I don't know who he is. I don't really. I but I I'm kind of digging it because I don't know. Because, uh, uh, like we were saying earlier, they recreated Zoom uh, in the the uh, the Jeff Johns, uh, run the, the Jeff Johns, yeah, era uh, with Hunter Zolomon. That we 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 just saw him, uh, just a little glimpse of him mm-hmm. uh, in the in the show. And Hunter Zolomon Zolomon was this criminal profiler, and uh, he basically became Zoom, which is the reverse flash for Wally. Yeah. Because Wally was fighting Ebert Ton, but, you know, Ebert was Barry's evil, mm. <laughs> you know, or other side of that coin. Wally didn't have one and they created uh, Hunter's Almond, which became Zoom and had a totally different set of powers. Yeah. And that's kind of something I, I also liked a lot because he would step out of time yeah. instead of going fast. So he would always try to slow down instead of speeding up. And I I always liked that contrast. But basically, the the his mission was the same was it was to make uh, uh, Wally better Mm
4: -hmm. because
1: he needed. So you know I don't know what the new Zoom in the TV show is going to be, but you know I'm digging it. I'm I'm, I think it's cool. And uh, I love I love the Reverse Flash too. And we saw his origin, so we're going to see the origins You haven't seen it yet. You you should check that out.
0: All right, I'll I'll look forward to that one. But really quickly, um, favorite Flash villain from the comics?
1: I'd have to say Captain Cold. Okay. Just because of the cold guns and and he was always kind of weirdly kitschy. Mm -hmm. He was – you know, he's kind of dorky with – but he was always so – I don't know. He had something. Yeah. I think it's the glasses. He had these, like, a good type, you know, <laughs> glasses back then with just a straight little line, which is something that exists. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I kind of dug that maybe because it's cold up here in Canada. So he had a parka or, you know, a hat. <laughs> so I always like Captain Cold.
0: I liked him too. I like of the technical rogues, I was sort of partial to Mirror Master. Um, but uh, Captain Cold was a close second.
1: You know what? I was going to say Mirror Master as my second, nice, because that's that's. I mean, it's awesome powers.
0: Yeah, Mirror
1: Master is (laughs) too powerful actually to be, you know, considered just a flashy little rogue. He's incredibly incredibly powerful and. Has an Australian accent, so I mean, you can't beat that.
0: You can do you can do wacky adventures with Mirror Master, or you can do like horrific, like oh yeah, dark, dark stories with him.
1: If if there was one rogue that could go very, very dark, mm-hmm. it would be Mirror Master because he mm-hmm. could pop up anywhere. Yeah, he's kind of like the shade in some ways. Yes.
0: yeah, he is. Uh, um, I but I I maybe I phrase it wrong. Like my favorite Flash villain of all of them, I gotta go with Gorilla Grodd because I'm. That's that's a trope in comics that I've always had a soft spot for is super intelligent gorillas, like who want to conquer the world. So give me Grodd, give me Ultra Humanite, give me Titano, uh,
1: <laughs> Mr. Malah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh, he's got a beret and a he's machine got... gun. <laughs> he's great. I, I, like I'm the guy. I go to watch the Planet of the Apes movies hoping that they win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! I love it. <laughs> um, what about specifically from the TV show? Do you have a particular favorite villain or rogue from the show? Um, from the show, uh,
1: I kind of like all of them, but I, I really liked uh, Reverse Flash in this mm-hmm. one because um, he's so he was so evil, just yeah. so so evil. Yeah. I mean, he changed. He basically changed Barry in that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean uh, Barry didn't change when he fought, you know, uh, Captain Cold or Weather Wizard or right. you know, uh, Girder. You know, nothing right. changed. Right. But but right. He, he, Reverse Flash really, he he touched something right. deep.
0: And so. talk about the storytelling structure of that character. What they were able to do was to have your season-long villain. Be the mentor of your hero, to to, whose goal is to make the hero better and better and better, also that he can use him to forward his evil master plan. I mean, it was that is crazy long term thinking, but they did it really well.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, and and and, I mean, the show's great. That's that's why it's great, and and Reverse Flash was my favorite.
0: Yeah, by a wide margin, he definitely was. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well. Uh, I think we've wrapped up the story. Did you have any final thoughts on Wally West or The Flash in general?
1: Well, you know what? I think we have to say goodbye to our red-headed Wally. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's basically uh, done. Um, he's going to be Barry Allen from this point on. Uh, just because, you know, Wally was something else. But um, right now, every Barry... Story is basically a Wally type story from the eighties and yeah. early nineties. So uh, we have to say, I mean, it's hard for you know the the Wally fans to say goodbye to to redheaded Wally, mm-hmm. but you know what? Uh, he will not be forgotten.
0: That's true, and it's actually one of the biggest things about this character that we we didn't talk about as much as he was the first of the legacy heroes, really. Yeah. and before him nobody else had done that he was the teen sidekick who graduated to be the adult hero he took on the mantle of his of his predecessor yeah. and did it successfully for a long time and and all the characters that came after him like with the new green lanterns and the new robins and this whole thing and and it it that was a seismic shift for DC that came out of the crisis was they put this timeline together where, yeah, these guys have been around for 75 years, and you can find out where they exist. And these stories are going to keep evolving and changing Yeah, what they've done since then. And you're right. like All of the Barry Allen stories they're doing now, these are Wally stories because they've de-aged him. Because yep. they've made all of these characters, these heroes, in their early 20s. So they're going through the same learning curve and the same you know like hard knocks kind of approach to these early adventures and that's that's what they've done with all of their their heroes so now there's no room for Wally West in these universes no not the, the red headed yeah that's why they, they took him 5 years to introduce him in the new 52 and when yeah. they did he looked and acted completely different
1: the the new Wally West is somebody completely different he's he's i don't know he what's going to happen with him but you know what? He has a name that goes beyond what he looks like, mm-hmm. uh, what he, his new origin is. So he should be great. Yeah. I'm hoping he's great.
0: I mean, for the sake of the comics and the fans,
1: we hope so. Oh, really, for the fans and for myself, really. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being very, very just for myself right now. <laughs> I hope, really, in my deepest feelings that Wally West, the new Wally West, will be great.
0: All right. Well, Bass, thank you very much for being on this episode of the Secret Origins Podcast.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Before we go, where can our listeners find you if they want to hear more from you in the podcasting realm or anywhere else?
1: Well, right now we're doing uh, a little podcast called the Lonely Hearts Romance Comic Podcast. We're four guys who talk about old romance comics and some new romance comics and even romance in comics. So you should check that out. It's, It's kind of fun. Uh, we're having fun doing it. And I'm also uh, working with Ciscoid, my co-lonely heart. Uh, and we're talking about this crossover event from late 80s, early 90s uh, that's called Invasion. And it's called First Strike the Invasion Podcast. And you should check it out. We talk about uh, a lot of fun stuff right there too.
0: Excellent, excellent. One more time, thank you very much for being on the show. It's great to have you.
1: Anytime. I like speedsters.
0: All right, folks. Don't go away. I'll be back in the flash. Get it? (laughs) After this break with the secret origin of Barry Allen.
5: If, by Rudyard Kipling, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stood and filled them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch-and-toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you if all men count with you but none too much if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run yours is the earth and everything that's in it and which is more you'll be a man my son
7: Citizens of Metropolis, behold, Booster Gold. Traveling back through time from the year 2462 A.D., Booster Gold has come to battle today's wrongdoers. Booster Gold, protecting his past to ensure your future. Hi, this is FKA Jason's son again. I want to take a moment of your time to thank you for listening to my dad's podcast, Silver and Gold. Because so many people downloaded it, he and his friend Roy Charlemagne Clary have decided to keep making more episodes, which means I am saved from hearing boring Captain Adam and Booster Gold facts from them all the time. If you like these characters and haven't heard the Silver and Gold podcast, I urge you, for my sanity, to check it out. You can find new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Shout Engine, or at my dad's blog www.captainadamblog.com. Follow FK Jason on Twitter for updates about the show. Also, please don't mention this commercial to him. He has no idea I recorded it and thinks all of you are listening to the podcast willingly. Don't burst his bubble. He's delicate like a flower. Silver and Gold Podcast, the best podcast devoted to Booster Gold and Captain Adam on the whole internet. Probably. <laughs>
0: And we're talking about yet another Flash, the third Flash to be covered on this podcast, which is the second Flash to be published by DC, and yet the first Flash most people think of when they hear the name. We're talking about Barry Allen, the character whose arrival in comics is generally viewed as the birth of the Silver Age. And joining me for this story is the host of Comic Reflections, Nicholas Prom. Welcome to the show, Nicholas.
6: Hi, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here.
0: Oh, no. Thank you very much for for being part of the show. I'm very happy to have you. And you told me that Barry Allen is your Flash. Why is that?
6: Well, I think when I was a kid, my first exposures to the Flash were before the TV show. But you know that was Barry Allen. And mm-hmm. although I only remember that pretty dimly, but I had an issue of the Flash. I think from the early 80s it was probably one of the Alex Salviak uh, drawn issues, and it was uh, he he fought the Pied Piper. But I don't, I don't know. I, I thought it was a, a, a an interesting character. I, it was the only Flash I knew at that time. I, it wasn't until uh, a little later I learned that, you know, the larger DC history, that there was a Golden Age Flash and then that uh, there was a kid Flash who became uh, the the third Flash. And uh, I don't know. I, I think sometimes, you know, your first exposure is, is tends to be the one you gravitate towards the most. It's like Doctor Who.
0: <laughs> I completely agree with that. And the Flash for me is... He's one of those, uh, what we call the primordial characters, that he's always kind of been there for me. I, I feel like for almost as long as I've known who Superman and Batman and Robin were, I've known who the Flash was, or I've known that image of him, and it was the Silver Age version. It was this version. And even, I mean, by the time I started reading comics, he, Barry Allen, was long gone, and we were well into the Wally West era. And... I've mentioned it before. I have read more great Wally West Flash comics than Barry Allen ones. But if I have to pick one, I'm going to go with the first one. I'm going to go with Barry. There's just something so classic and iconic about him. And Um, when I started kind of getting into DC's back catalog, you know, I picked up the Showcase Presents versions of The Flash. And, damn, his, his Silver Age stuff, that output that Infantino and those guys were putting out right from the beginning in the 50s, It might not be as good, but it it reminds me of like the first couple years of Stanley and Jack Kirby's run on Fantastic Four in that every issue of their run on Flash was introducing a new concept that is still in existence today, that you're still seeing on the TV shows or in the comics right now.
6: That is a great uh, comparison uh, uh, to put forth, Ryan, and, and I couldn't agree more the stories that John Broom and Robert Kaniger were writing and, uh, and of course, uh, uh, Infantino style at that time was just so perfect and sleek and, and innovative, it was just, uh, it was lightning in a bottle, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like Fantastic Four was. But I, I will say, you know, the earliest issues of the Fantastic Four aren't all that happening. You know, it kind of it, took a while before they picked up steam. It, yeah, the flash, it took, them,
0: it took like, them about two years for them to find their footing, but yeah.
6: Yeah. But I feel like the flash was there like kind of from the word go. I mean, mm-hmm. so DC gets the edge on this one. Uh,
0: <laughs> one. One might even say they hit the ground running. Ah, ah puns.
6: Oh, oh, I've got a couple of those in store for this episode. So, you know, <laughs>
0: All right, so what is the big deal about this character? I'm going to hit us with the uh, the publication history. The all-new Flash, Barry Allen, was introduced in Showcase Issue 4 back in 1956. Created by writer Robert Kaniger and artist Carmine Infantino, along with a generous amount of creative input from editor Julius Schwartz and fellow artist Joe Kubert, this newly redesigned Scarlet Speedster made three other trial appearances in Showcase before finally getting his own regular series— which continued the numbering of the original Golden Age Flash comics, thereby starting with issue 105 in 1959. That Flash series ran for 350 issues, finally coming to an end in 1985 when Barry Allen, spoiler alert, died during the Crisis on Infinite Earths. But his Silver and Bronze Age appearances weren't limited to his own book, not by a long shot, The Flash was a founding member of the Justice League beginning with the team's first adventure in The Brave and the Bold, issue 28. He stayed with the team, appearing in most of the first 220 issues of Justice League of America until they relocated to Detroit. Early on in his publication life, Barry was the vessel through which DC Comics established the multiverse, and the notion that the original Flash, Jay Garrick, and the rest of the heroes from the Golden Age actually inhabited a parallel dimension known as Earth-2. After the crisis, Barry stayed dead for nearly a quarter of a century, but he never really went very far. DC continued to publish flashback stories with the character, and his legacy followed Wally West for years in the pages of the new Flash comic. Finally, Barry returned from the dead in the pages of Final Crisis, and he has been the flash of the DC Universe since then, in the comics, the new TV show, and the upcoming DC Cinematic Universe. So that's what I got. Anything else that I forgot?
6: Um, I think I'm a little fuzzy on the timeline, but actually Barry either left or was expelled from the League During the satellite era, the very tail end of the satellite era, before uh, Detroit was formed.
0: Was that when he was on trial?
6: I think so. I'm a little fuzzy on these details because I've only read smatterings from that period. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he he was definitely out of the picture before Detroit.
0: I believe that was, I'm pretty sure that was during the era when he was on trial for murder, which felt like it took forever.
6: Well, that, that storyline ran for two years. Yeah, there's well,
0: like a whole like Showcase Presents volume just dedicated to that saga.
6: I know, and I need to pick that one up, but... Anything else? Um, not off the top of my head, Ryan.
0: All right. Before we get right into Barry's origin, right smack dab in the middle of Secret Origins Annual number 2, we get a little half-page prologue, a little science lesson. Today's flash fact... <laughs> The faster an object travels, the more its mass increases, until at the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second, its mass becomes infinite and the object can't move at all. However, scientists have speculated about the possible existence of a subatomic particle they call the tachyon. Just as an ordinary particle, such as an electron, can exist only at speeds less than that of light, so a tachyon could exist only at speeds more than that of light. One theory has it that tachyons move so quickly that they are actually passing backward through time. And remember this little flash fact, because it may come up later on in the origin story.
6: Maybe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, are you ready to tell our listeners the first part of the secret origin of The Flash?
6: Certainly. The Flash, in Mystery of the Human Thunderbolt, written by Robert Loring Fleming, penciled by Carmine Infantino, and inked by Murphy Anderson. Our story begins with a young Barry Allen reading Flash comics under the covers with a flashlight during a lightning storm. This is great because that's like the classic American image of like, you know, sneaking reading comics <laughs> under the covers. I know I did it at least once because I saw it in a movie. <laughs> but uh, anyway, flash forward a little bit. <laughs> I get it. We got a montage of Barry's childhood and his youth wishing he were fast, but clearly showing his uh, penchant for being slow and tardy. Barry finds his calling in adulthood in chemistry, where he can take his time and uh, be meticulous, do it right. So, Barry becomes a police scientist and uh, also meets a groovy gal named Iris West, who's a pretty important figure in this story. As a matter of fact, uh, our friend Shag would say she's mighty hot.
0: That doesn't sound like something he would say. No. <laughs> never heard that before
6: terrible mischaracterization of him um so anyway uh, even though barry lands a job uh, uh, with the police he's late every day and so the guys in the department don't expect him to pan out at all but barry proves them wrong because uh, even though he was slow the, and late all the time he was very thorough so he was excellent at his job i think they accepted the eccentricity of him just being late all the time which is great So another detective on the force, Detective Russo, uh, he tries to make time with Iris. So, you know, Barry's been dating her. He's got a relationship going there. That's good. Iris works at uh, Picture News as a television reporter. Anyway, Detective Russo gives Iris a tip that ends up putting her in danger. It's a hostage situation in a burning building. This story breaks on the news, and Russo and Barry realize that Iris is in danger. Russo races to the scene. Meanwhile, Barry, feeling despondent, curses his slowness and his seeming inability, excuse me, his seeming helplessness to save Iris. So, in that moment, the fateful lightning bolt crashes through the window of Barry's lab. But, unlike in the Silver Age origin, the Thunderbolt instructs Barry to arrange the chemicals on his cabinet shelf in such a manner that when struck by the Thunderbolt and dowsing Barry with the mixture, they will give him the speed he needs To save Iris but the Thunderbolt warns Barry that if he chooses to do this his life will be much shorter. Barry of course decides to take the chance because it's his only way to save Iris. So having gained the power of super speed Barry races to the burning building running across the surface of a lake and then up the side of a building to save Iris. Barry catches bullets fired at his lady love by the terrorist group or hostage takers, however we want to phrase that, and puts out a fire by running and creating a vacuum. So the bad guys go to jail, Iris is saved, and Detective Russo marvels at how Barry could have beaten him to the scene. Barry tells him that he knew a shortcut. <laughs> so I, I'm assuming uh, Russo is no longer going to be competition for Barry now. <laughs> but... Uh, so then we get a very short scene of Barry inventing the uh, costume and a ring gag, which I always, the first time I saw that, I thought that was the craziest thing ever. And then he begins his career as The Flash.
0: Yeah. And that is the first part of Mystery of the Human Thunderbolts. I'll start off with giving a few thoughts. On this podcast, I have often given Roy Thomas crap for being too slavish to the original origin stories. Uh-huh. And not taking enough risks, not deviating, not making the stories his own. This chapter makes me want to apologize to Roy for all of those accusations. <laughs> because there are a few things that I like about this. There are a few ways that Robert Lauren Fleming really embellishes things and some great characterization. But, who talk about taking a ready-made origin story and... Oh... <laughs>
6: It's almost like he padded it for time.
0: Yeah, but it, but just shows like the weirdest things to pad. Like uh, okay, all right, let's all right. Let's take it from from the beginning. From page one, we open up with what looks to be a page out of classic Flash comics from the Golden Age. We see, and it's kind of funny because if you're turning the page and you're like, whoa, wait, is this a Jay Garrick story? And it's a a great segue to seeing Barry Allen, like you described, as a kid, under the covers, with a flashlight, reading books. I love it. And I like the fact that the beats that he sees Jay Garrick doing in the comic, he will repeat those exact same beats when he gets his own powers and goes to rescue Iris. He will run up the wall of a burning building. He will do the same kind of feats. So that is really cool. I like that. And... We get this whole beat when he goes to the police station when he's like walking up the side stairs of yeah. tripping and falling and dropping everything down the stairs. And I don't they, know
6: a couple times, too. It's yeah. like this. What's with the stairs in this?
0: And it doesn't like I, I the, the point that you're supposed to reinforce is that Barry is slow. He's never on time.
6: Not clumsy. Right. But I, I guess Fleming must be uh conflagrating uh, or equating. Clumsiness and and slowness, like as if they all they must go hand in hand.
0: <laughs> right, but but the way you show slowness is you show him like being late for a date with Iris and her storming off pissed at him. Like that's yeah, w- and that's, that's what they did in switch. every golden age story or every Silver Age story.
6: Right. And and it's done in like two panels.
0: Yeah, and pages of this. So we get this other cop, Russo, flirting with Iris, giving right. her a tip that will put her in danger. You know, as most good cops will do.
6: It seems and then, like a conflict of interest to do that.
0: Right, and yeah, he, he basically gives her a tip and then he goes back to the station and the next time he sees her, she's got a gun to her head on television.
3: Right.
6: And
0: Russo, the cop, goes running down the stairs and Barry's like, wait for me. And he's like, I can't stop. It's my fault and you're too slow. I'll have to save it. Like, what is this fight about? Like
6: The seconds it's going to take him to get down the stairs, that's going to be the mini, the difference between life and death?
0: Right, like...
6: It falls apart their scrutiny.
0: It. it, I don't even think it takes really harsh scrutiny. It's just bad (laughs) scrutiny. (laughs) And then Barry sees him driving off, and he has this crazy moment where he like this melodramatic, where he's like, "It's up to him. I'm too slow." And he's like, He's like throwing a temper tantrum, wrecking his office, and he, he like has this whole screaming fit. This thing like, "Why me? What did I do to deserve this?" Dude, you're not the one with a gun to your head by terrorists. Like, think about Iris.
6: It's really heavy-handed, and it's it's building up to this element that they're adding to the origin that is really contrived. And it becomes a very trite thing in the very end, and we'll get to that.
0: So, the lightning strikes, and then it, like, freezes in time, and then the lightning starts to speak to him, and gives him this ultimate, like... I've always thought that Barry's Silver Age origin felt much more like a Marvel-style origin. And I've made this, uh, this comparison other times, that DC's heroes are mostly self-made men, and they would be naturally heroic, whether they had powers or not. If Superman didn't have Kryptonian physiology, he would still be a crusading journalist who grew up in the heartland, who believes in truth, justice, and the American way. Totally. If Batman never put on the cape and cowl, he would still be one of the richest men in the world, one of the best looking men, one of the most uh, physically fit men, better than average driver.
6: A philanthropist.
0: Exactly. Um, Hal Jordan, still a test pilot. Barry Allen, still a forensic scientist who puts criminals away using science. These are all like, you know, things, whereas the Marvel yeah. heroes are all anti heroes, essentially. Not like, you know, Deadpool or Punisher style anti heroes, but well, like. It's-
6: Heroes with flaws, right. feet of clay.
0: Exactly. But most of them, most of the people on the Marvel side of the fence, get their powers through freak scientific accidents. and right. And that's, that's what Barry's origin was. It was just this random circumstance, this random bolt of lightning. And it feels like they're trying to undo that. They're trying to make it more... Like destiny taking a hand, like the, the cosmic universe choosing him. Like he has this, this greater purpose in life, but he still has to be heroic because it has to be his choice. He has to take on this responsibility or shun it. But if he takes it on, he's going to die earlier. It's is like the myth of Achilles in, during the Trojan War. If he went to Troy, he would be this legendary fighter that we would still talk about 4,000 years later, but he would also die there. And that was the trade-off.
6: Right. And a couple things i got to say about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. One, from the Bronze Age forward, or really the very tail end of the Silver Age, DC has scrambled to try to be more like Marvel. Mm-hmm. And over the course of that, they really lost their identity. Because the, the Silver Age is is the, the greatest period for DC, I feel, other than the 1980s. The 80s is a great decade, too. But this is very uh, trying to uh, Marvelize... The Flash in some way. And also, it's interesting how you mentioned that this is a, his origin, classically, is such a Marvel comics origin, but it, it predates any of those Marvel heroes. Mm-hmm. And then you think of, like, oh, the greatest Marvel superhero, Captain America, his origin is very DC comics. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I just, just I a think, fun.
0: I think that has a lot to do with the era in which they were created. Captain America, yeah. he's a Marvel character, but he came from the 40s. He came from that same era. Whereas a character like Firestorm or Cyborg, they feel more like Marvel characters because they were created in the late 70s after the rise of Marvel. So I I feel like those distinctions are kind of based on sort of when the character got their genesis.
6: And that's very interesting. You you point out Cyborg, Marv Wolfman, okay, he he worked at DC, went to Marvel, came back. And then, of course, Jerry Conway created Firestorm, you know, intentionally, like, how can I do a, a, a DC Spider-Man type of character? But barring the Martian Manhunter, you know, The Flash is the first DC superhero of the Atomic Age. Mm-hmm. And this is another uh, earmark of why the, the Silver Age starts with Showcase number 4. Because the original heroes were all magic or, you know, self-made men or whatever... This is the science fiction and the technology aspect coming full swing into the comics.
0: But then they're giving it this weird magic touch with the lightning speaking to him.
6: And this wasn't the first revision of this origin. In Flash number 167, February of 1967 issue, they had a story called The Real Origin of the Flash, where... A imp from another dimension named Mopey visited Barry Allen and told him how it was all magic, not science, that he he was chosen and the power bestowed upon him. Now, DC has, in the ensuing years, really tried to brush that story under the rug and like, no, 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 that's not canon. Okay, but elements of that are folded into this.
0: I think they are. I think they are trying to use that story. But as we will see by the end of this issue, they're giving it a different genesis. Yeah, I, th- I think, and maybe this is Fleming as he's scripting it. Maybe this had to do with Mark Wade, who was the editor. Maybe it was his intention, but maybe they wanted to use that same revision and, and acknowledge that, but find a way to make it make sense. Yeah. I mean, that was basically, that was the whole point of Grant Morrison's run on Batman before the yeah. New 52 was, I'm going to right. treat every Batman story like it's in canon and just find a way to make it, what doesn't make sense, make sense.
6: On the subject of Mark Wade, I have some, and this element to the story, I want to come back to that when we wrap up the part three. Mm-hmm. So,
0: in terms of the art, and we can talk again about this by the end of it. But I mean, Carmine Infantino, this was closer to the tail end of his career. He wasn't drawing a lot, and when he was, I mean, as you can see from his who whose who entries, they were pretty stiff. I oh, think man. I think oof. Murphy Anderson is helping him out a lot here.
2: Yeah,
6: um, and well. A couple of things. i are like, yeah, the Who's Who entries that he was doing at the time, like the Grodd entry, is just embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're not very good. I'm not. A, I'm a big fan of his Silver Age work, but in the 70s and the and especially the 80s, Carmine Infantino is just not my guy anymore. I think Murphy Anderson, who was one of his best inkers in Silver Age, especially on Adam Strange and I, sometimes on Flash, I think he does a lot to make this story much better looking. Yeah. You know, when I recently read an interview, and I think I want to say it was either with Mike Friedrich or somebody at, at worked at the DC in the in the seventies. They asked Julie Schwartz, um, "So why, how come uh, Carmine doesn't uh, ink his own pencils?" And Julie says to him, "Have you seen Carmine's inks?" Implying that he was he was crap as an inker, and and inkers are huge in 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 fleshing out uh, you know rough pencils and, and everything. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, or full or really tight pencil. still, even an inker can add a whole lot to it. But um, Carmine has a great sense of style and storytelling and panel layout and camera angles. There's there's a lot of great shots uh, in this issue. There's a lot to enjoy. And as far as, like, late period Carmine Infantino, this is probably the best stuff that I've seen.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: I remember, like, the volume three of the Superpowers Collection uh, limited series that they did. Have you read that? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. The first two volumes are Kirby having a strong hand in it, and they look nice. And then the third one they didn't get Kirby, Carmine Infantino, did it. And it's some of his worst stuff you'll ever look at. It's really bad. Well,
0: just looking at the final page of this section on page 15, like you said, it's a great layout. You get Barry like hearing the radio call and everything, and this sort of surprised look, maybe a little bit too surprised. And yeah. then the, the close-up of his hand, finger and the ring, and the, the suit, like, leaping out of it, which looks great. Yeah, no, there's then,
6: awesome stuff going on in this.
0: And then, I mean, the last panel of Barry, like, running with the sun behind him, it's a good, iconic shot. It's nothing, again, puns, it's nothing too flashy. It's right. Not, you know, it's not going to, like, blow the doors off the place, but it's a nice, iconic hero shot of a character who's gone by now. So, again, I, I think Anderson really helped out with a lot with this issue, so...
6: Oh, yeah. And I mean, I still think like, of course they did the right, they made the right choice uh, having Carmine pencil this. I mean, who else were you going to get, really? He's everybody's definitive Flash artist, but he did his run in the in the 50s and 60s, and that was awesome. Mm-hmm. But even when he came back in the early 80s, his style had changed so much, or deteriorated, however you want to look at it, um, that it's, you know, those, they're not as visually appealing uh, as, as a reader. And but again, still masterful at panel layout, the speed lines. There are a lot of Infantino innovations in comics in general that I think are really important. And I don't want to spend this whole uh, episode slagging the man.
0: No, yeah, yeah far, far yeah, from but, it. I mean, his contribution to comics is phenomenal. He's created some amazing characters. I am a Carmine Infantino fan up to a point. And I think that point was a couple decades before he did this issue. Right. Um, and and again, I come back to this idea. My biggest problem with the story is not the art. I mean, it's it, right, the art know, is fine. But... My my biggest problem is really pages eight and nine, when Barry just has this crazy monologue about wanting more, about not being happy, being the slowpoke that everybody p- makes fun of. This is stuff that you can think about, but him, even him shouting it out to the lightning is just really melodramatic and not what this character is about. Like,
6: Right, it's, tonally, it just, it doesn't feel right at all.
0: Yeah. One final note, Mystery of the Human Thunderbolt, which is the title for the three chapters in this origin, that was the name of the original Barry Allen flash story from Showcase 4, so yeah. nice that they're revisiting that. Uh, any other thoughts on this first part?
6: No, no, I think we got it covered, Ryan.
0: All right. Then moving on to Mystery of the Human Thunderbolt, Part 2. Four years after his first adventure, six members of the Flash's dastardly rogues gallery Mirror Master, Captain Cold, Captain Boomerang, Heatwave, The Top, and The Pied Piper gripe about Central City's planned Flash Festival. Heatwave wants to break into the Flash Museum and trash the place before the festival but this idea receives scoffs and jeers from the rogues who believe, rightly, that the Flash would take them down effortlessly. But Mirror Master has a plan. Using his mirror tricks, he busts another rogue, the Weather Wizard, out of prison while depositing the Warden in Weather Wizard's cell just for kicks. Mirror Master tells Weather Wizard they need to create a diversion for the Flash, something that can keep up with his speed, something like a human thunderbolt. The next day, the Flash is taking a leisurely stroll through the park, leisurely for him being at super speed, when a humanoid figure comprised of yellow electricity starts chasing him, matching the Flash's speed. Flash tries to lose him by vibrating through the street and escaping into the sewer, but the human Thunderbolt follows him down and gives Flash quite a shock when his electricity comes in contact with the sewer water Flash is standing in. Meanwhile, the rogues bust into the Flash Museum. Captain Cold puts the guards on ice, and the others begin trashing the various displays, particularly those parts of the museum that depict their own embarrassing captures by the Flash. Outside, the Flash leads the human Thunderbolt on a chase out of Central City. The Thunderbolt seems to be catching up to the Flash when all of a sudden it diverts its attention to destroy a billboard with the Flash's image on it. Our hero reasons that the mysterious creature is drawn to the costume, so Barry sheds his disguise, drawing the costume back into his specially modified ring. The human Thunderbolt follows the red suit, getting trapped in the ring. Needing a spare costume, Barry runs to the Flash Museum, where he finds the rogues. At lightning speed, Barry dresses the criminals in the spare Flash costumes from the museum displays. Then he taps his ring, setting the human Thunderbolt free, and the rogues are taken down by their own creation. Chapter ends with the rogues being sent back to jail and the Flash asking the warden to keep them there this time. <laughs> and that is Mystery of the Human Thunderbolt, part two. What did you think?
6: I like this. Um, I, it included all of my favorite rogues. And uh, I, I do say that the, on the first read through, I wonder if there was maybe a page or two that got edited or some panels taken out uh, for space. Because I didn't pick up on that the, the Human Thunderbolt was created by a combination of the Weather Wizard and the Mirror Master's uh, abilities I, until the second read-through.
0: Yeah, I think I mean this this section is only a couple of pages. It feels very rushed, like the dialogue. Like this this feels like very old-fashioned dialogue. Like when they're coming, Captain Boomerang says, "Tell him, Mirror Master, tell him about the plan." And Weather Wizard goes, a plan? Sounds great. I hope I can help. What are we going to do this time? Like, like they're already into it and everything. And like,
6: what did they become the get-along gang? Exactly. sound like the rogues.
0: Exactly. You know? <laughs> it, it's moving very fast, and I get the feeling that, yeah, maybe they thought that they were going to have another page for this setup, and it got truncated or something.
6: Yeah. Um, so the intent of the cleverness of the plot got a little lost uh Somewhere in in there, a little muddied. All right, uh, but, but I did. Like, that's all I, I I did enjoy it. You
0: know. Yeah, but I did like it a lot. I mean, it's it's fun to see the rogues. As you say, you point out, like my favorite Flash villain is Gorilla Grodd, but I don't consider him one of the rogues he's because not. he's not out there robbing banks with the crew. He's on another level. Uh, so when I think of the rogues, I think of these guys. I mean, after Batman and Spider Man the flash's rogues gallery is really really strong um, yeah they are i mean i think they're closer to spider-man's villains in that they're gimmick villains they're based on a sort of a scientific trick it makes them fun for little one-off stories like i don't think any one of these guys could really carry a two-hour full-length flash movie by himself but you put them all together and it's a lot of fun to see how they interact
6: yeah, the Flash's rogues gallery really work in a in a villain of the month kind of mm-hmm. fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, or villain of the week if you're going to go to television. Much like Spider-Man's villains. I think that's why the Spider-Man movies are just continue to fail and fail. Because once you get past uh, the Goblin and Doc Ock, there's nobody that big that can carry a movie. I
0: completely agree with that. I think there might be a few others that could do it, but still, I mean... Yeah, I mean, most of his rogues gallery, they're good for one, maybe two fights, and that's, yeah. that's not enough for a two-hour movie.
6: Right. I mean, I don't want to make this uh, get into a huge segue about Spider-Man, but Amazing Spider-Man 2 could have uh, been a really cool Kingpin movie with a couple of supervillain operatives doing mm-hmm. his bidding. That would have been really fun.
0: They put so much more attention on the beginning on Electro, and shoehorned the new goblin at the end. And it's like, the goblin is the guy you spend more time on. Electro's not an interesting character.
6: Yeah, that was such a flawed movie. I mean, there were things I liked about it, but overall it was such a mess. I mean, the whole crap with his parents didn't need to be there.
4: Yeah,
6: Electro was a huge, terrible, like, Batman Forever rip. You know, doing the mm-hmm. basically the, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey's Riddler again. Yep. And that was just awful. But I felt like if you excise those chunks out of it, then you get a pretty good movie. I
0: completely agree. I think Goblin can carry a movie. Dr. Octopus can carry a movie. I think Lizard was fine in the first one because he was sharing it with the origin story. Um yeah. and You can get away with that. But other characters like Electro, Sandman, Vulture, Rhino, these are characters I love, but you can't get a whole movie out of them.
6: No, because they're all just they're they're villains in the mold of the Flash's Rogues Gallery. Right. They're just bank robbers. Right. No. Yeah. Um, the Lizard was a good choice because he's really different. He's not going to team up with anybody. His goals and, and everything about him is, is 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 just a is a very different kind of thing. He's kind of the Gorilla Grodd of, of mm-hmm. Spidey's. So I thought that was a yeah. good choice. So Craven
0: I, Craven could carry a movie. Mysterio maybe.
6: Mysterio would be visually interesting, definitely.
0: But anyway, let's get back to the Flash's rogues. Sorry. No, 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 it's fine. I was completely okay with that deviation because it's the conversations I've wanted to have. But who are some of your favorite Flash rogues, like of this group, or anybody that might not have been included in this one? Oh,
6: uh, I love Captain Boomerang and Captain Cold, Mirror Master, and The Top. Those are probably my favorite ones. Now, Ryan, have you read the Death of the Top storyline?
0: Uh, was that during the Jeff Johns era or was that earlier?
6: Oh, no, I meant in the, in the seventies. Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. It's really good. Um, and it was a clever plot idea, but I was just like, what they did was good and it was a good story, but geez, if you're going to kill off one of the rogues, couldn't you take him the trickster? (laughs) You know,
0: <laughs> that's who was missing from this group. I was to, yeah, like, I thought I No, I didn't. He's not my favorite. I haven't. I I was trying to remember. I knew there was something significant about the top, but I couldn't remember. And I was like, oh yeah, he died.
6: Um, he died, and there's this whole storyline where he had spun because he had spun around, you know, uh, for years at at that high speed. Mm-hmm. It moved unused parts of his brain to the clo- uh, to the to the outs of his uh, his front cerebral cortex or whatever and he gained psionic powers. But then he died because he was, the flash ran past him, and the, he was too close to the flash's the flash vibrations, and it gave him brain damage, and so he died. But not before he had this elaborate plan with all these bombs all over Central City that the rogues had to track down and keep the flash out of the way so that they could be diffused and not blow up the city. So the rogues had to save the city.
0: <laughs> I need to read that story.
6: Yeah, that and it's great. not traded either, but it's really cool.
0: <laughs> I always have a soft spot for Pied Piper, and it's just because of his costume. Like, he and Captain Boomerang have these weird, garish costumes that should not yeah. work, but I just love them.
6: Yeah, Captain Boomerang wears, like, a weird flight attendant's costume. <laughs> <but> really strange. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and, and, and I should be more fond of the Pied Piper. My first Flash comic was a Pied Piper story, and, I, and that was my only Flash comic for years. When I was a kid, I really only had a handful of DC comics. I was definitely a Marvel guy. But don't worry, I saw the light. (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) I I was too. I was a Marvel guy for most... And throughout the 90s, I kept trying to dip into DC and just kept on looking for certain parts. And one of the series that I picked up, just because I thought it had a cool premise, was Underworld Unleashed, wherein most of these guys are killed (laughs) in the beginning. (laughs) I remember opening that, I was like, oh, man... Captain Cold looks pretty cool. He's got this weird furry parka. He's got these glasses. Oh, he just died.
6: (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, like, I definitely, you know, I had a few DC comics and they were cool, but, you know, Marvel was more punching, so I was into that. But having been given a near complete set of the first run of Who's Who kind of helped stir an interest in DC and me, and that was around 91, I think. And then uh, when Identity Crisis came, that was the thing that pulled me in and didn't let go. And I've been a a huge, slavering DC fan ever since.
0: That was one of them that made me the convert, too. Yeah,
6: I I read the original Crisis first, and and I loved that. That was definitely the open the door. I'm like, this is a huge, amazing world. Uh, And, uh, yeah.
0: Any final thoughts on this second part of the story?
6: No, there's really not a lot to say, but it's fun. We definitely needed to see the rogues in this. It would have been a really dry, boring issue without them.
0: Right. And you can't talk about this version of the Flash without talking about the rogues. No. All right. You ready to talk about the third and final part of the story?
6: I sure am. Mystery of the Human Thunderbolt, part three, opens with a montage of uh, Flash's career. And uh, we get a nice contrast here between two of Flash's lamest foes the Trickster, and Abracadabra, and his two most serious business adversaries, uh, that being Gorilla Grodd and uh, the Reverse Flash. I always liked how uh, those guys thought the rogues were buffoons, and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. <laughs> I remember reading a Silver Age story where uh, uh, the Flash and Captain Boomerang teamed up against Grodd, and that was pretty cool. But yeah, I seem to recall the rogues having kind of a derision towards Abracadabra as well. But anyway... The, it's just That's just like the, the splash uh, page for this part. But uh, So then Crisis on Infinite Earths happens. We totally glossed over The Trial of the Flash. Did you notice that?
0: I did. We did not address that. We did not address any of his other loves besides Iris.
6: Yeah, for the sake of brevity and the fact that the first part ate up so many pages, I'm sure there's just no room for that crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, Crisis is happening. So the Antony Monitor has this giant MacGuffin machine. It's called the antimatter Cannon, which is pointed at Earth-1. And uh, it travels uh, at many times the speed of light. And, of course, the Anti-Monitor has this twirly mustache uh, villain speech, so you'll never destroy it, the Earth is doomed, that kind of thing. By the way, looking at the that, that first panel, with uh, first couple of panels with the Anti-Monitor, the way Infantino draws it, doesn't that look like a Walt Simonson kind of rendering?
0: I can see it, yeah.
6: Yeah, that's just something that jumped right out at me. I was like, oh, man, that's fun. Um, The way the the, the cannon is drawn, too, kind of reminds me of that. But anyway, so Flash determines that the cannon is powered by tachyons. Hey, remember tachyons? So to stop it, he'll have to catch the the tachyons before they can reach the element that will fire the antimatter cannon. But Flash realizes that for him to travel at that speed, he'll end up dying. But it's worth it to save his friends and everyone else on Earth-1 so as this goes on, Barry sees his Barry speeds up. he's going super duper fast <laughs> okay faster than he's ever ran before. But anyway as he's going he's, he sees his life flash before his eyes uh. Uh, uh. And, uh, and he sees all of his pals in the Justice League and the rogues and his wedding to Iris and all this great stuff is you know he, he, you know, he knows that his, his life is ending. And he wishes he could relive it again. So, but anyway, he goes fast enough to destroy the cannon. Yay! Defeats the Anti-Monitor. But now he is energy. And he's traveling back in time, too. Because he was going so fast. Broken the time barrier. Didn't even need the cosmic treadmill. Another thing that wasn't even brought up in, in, in any part of this. So, he's traveling back in time to that fateful night where the thunderbolt struck him and gave him the powers, right? Oh, here's the twist. Flash is the Thunderbolt that gave him the powers. And so he gets, to, he gets he, his wish to live his life over again is fulfilled because his future self transferred power to his past self. Let's just let that sit there for a sec. I what? hate paradoxes like this. This drives me crazy.
0: <laughs> so I actually love this twist. I don't like the way it's presented. <laughs> Again, uh, writing. I think the writing and the art fail it, but I love the idea that he basically has to run so far to catch the Tachyon. That in going back to the the flash fact that we move, that Tachyons have to move faster than the speed of light, that they're actually moving backwards through time, that he becomes this bolt of energy, and that he sort of. This idea in kind of a philosophical uh, sense that he goes back in time and becomes the spark of power that that gives him his own powers. I know it's crazy. It doesn't make sense except in a science fiction paradox sort of way. I love that idea, but I don't like the way it's presented. I don't like the way it's overwritten by Fleming in this way. I don't like its weird – uh, it's. It feels uh, okay. Then is was that supposed to be him telling Barry in the first chapter? Was he talking to himself, yeah. giving him this warning? See, I hate that. I don't want yeah, him to have that level of supposed, sentience.
6: Yeah. Well, and you're not supposed to be able to tell your past self anything.
0: Right. That I hate. Yeah. I, I would have been fine with just the, if it just if we if we just stripped the dialogue out of this, and just the last two pages are just the visual images of Barry running so fast that he becomes incorporeal and just becomes this bolt of lightning traveling back through his past until it strikes the window and and, and the chemicals and turns him into the Flash, basically right. sort of being reborn through himself. We saw something very similar to this in one of the origin stories of the Phantom Stranger back in issue 10. Oh, right. Um,
6: and this is how Superman Red Sun kind of ended too. I liked that story a lot though, but yeah.
0: So uh, it's, mm, yeah, <laughs> I, I like the idea, I do not like the the execution. I can't say that enough. Um, yeah, uh, it's just it's failing on a number of levels. Again, the art he's not drawing human forms through a good chunk of this, he's drawing weird Kirby esque, like Simonson via Kirby machine and technology, as you pointed out. Right. Yeah, and the flash uh, is coming apart at the seams. Then he gets to page 28. Right. And Flash seeing the faces of the people he's known and the faces of the people he's loved. Oh,
6: I like that. Okay. I'm not sure why we got the doorman. I was
0: going to say, is that Willy Lumpkin? Is that the Fantastic Four's
6: mailman? No, I think in the – when Carmine returned to the book in the early 80s, and this is – if memory serves me correctly, this is the doorman in his building. Okay. I think. I don't know why this is important. Because everyone else on there makes sense—the Rogues, Iris's father, Iris, of course—who looks um, like she's on PCP. Uh, that's funny because you read the death of Iris, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know where I'm going with that, where because Barry was on PCP.
0: <laughs> they, they were at a party.
6: <laughs> Great party.
0: <laughs> and actually, uh, it's funny that you brought up that uh, that Infantino came back to do the the Super Friends comic because yeah the, powers. Yeah, the superpowers. I mean. Uh, Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, those look like they would have been on the Hanna-Barbera cartoon or something.
6: Oh, yeah. I, I really see uh, the Murphy Anderson particularly in those faces. He's got a thing with the uh, chin clefts yeah. <laughs> that are pretty unmistakable. But, yeah. I do love in, in the last part on that last page where he mentions, oh, no, excuse me, I guess it was at the end of uh, part one where he says, I wanted to uh, do the, the same costume as the Flash from the comics, but I could have got sued for a copyright infringement, <laughs> and that's why he came up with the red costume? That's pretty bad.
0: Uh, the first part of the story, when we see the other villains, the Trickster and Abracadabra, yeah. and then Reverse Flash, anti and, oh, that Gorilla
6: Grodd. I've seen worse Gorilla Grodds. I mean, like, I, I could go back to that who's who entry. Ugh. Or whoever drew Grodd in, in the various issues of Secret Society of Supervillains also. Okay. It's not doing anything.
0: The body seems okay, but the face... Ugh.
6: Yeah, it's, it's just a gorilla face. It's not distinctive. You know, you look at the Silver Age Grodd stories, and Grodd has a very, you know, distinct look. You won't mistake him for Solivar or any of the other gorillas. <laughs> what were your
0: overall thoughts about this story?
6: Overall, I enjoyed it. I think, uh, unfortunately, the first section is so overwrought and, and s- stretched out. I think the really important aspects of uh, parts two and three really get truncated. Uh, things that deserve a little more dramatic flair in those sections kind of got uh, tossed to the wayside. But, I mean, overall, I liked it. It's better than uh, some of the other origins that, that you've looked at uh, in this series by far. <laughs> True. <laughs> so uh, this is mid to, middle of the road to better than average uh, as far as the series has gone. I like this pretty good. I think it's good at capturing the spirit of the Flash other than the elements in the uh, specific to the origin that, that you mentioned.
0: I just think that he's got such a strong, iconic origin story that they tried to do too much and failed. They tried to well, add these really unnecessary elements instead of just going with what worked. And
6: It's almost like... Fleming or maybe Mark Wade had the idea of the circular origin yeah. and they added too many things in the beginning to try and connect it. Right. It's so overdone. It's like you didn't need to have I mean several pages of that could just be gone. Right. You know, and it's much more uh clearer. I mean, it kind of gave us a little more of an idea of Barry the as a guy, but then again, as you mentioned, that towering moment of anguish that he has right before the Thunderbolt shows up is really – it doesn't seem like Barry Allen at all.
0: No, no, it doesn't. And the, the inclusion of this other rival cop, this Russo guy that doesn't play out. There's no point of that.
6: Right. I mean there was – it's like I don't recall – so I can confirm or deny – I cannot confirm or deny whether that guy existed in other Flash stories or if he's just made up for this. But having a rival for Iris's affections was completely unnecessary in this. It was just a convoluted way of getting her in a, situ- in a sh- situation of danger so Flash could come save her. But then you go back to the, the origin and showcase number four, and Barry gets the powers in a lab accident. He's just working late at night. And then another, unrelated to anybody else at the station, he saves her on the street from a hail of bullets. For you know something else entirely, and that's done in a, like two pages.
0: Actually, that's my biggest problem with this. I actually, I, I didn't even think about, it, but I, because I didn't remember. But you're right. In the original origin, he gets struck by lightning, and he discovers over time, over a course of events, that he has this power. He realized, like, when he goes to cross the street, when he just zips across, like, faster, when he's Uh able to catch something from falling, and then he sort of gets the idea, because he is a good person, he decides, I am going to use these powers to make the world a better place. He doesn't need any external motivation, like, in this one. In this one, it seems like...
6: He was brought up right, and he knew what was right and wrong.
0: Right, in this one, it seems like because Iris was in trouble, I needed to, you know, beg the heavens to give me some new power to make. And it
6: then he had to harangue over a decision whether it was what to do. Like, what?
0: And that's, and it's, no, that's not Barry. That's not who he is. That's not the kind of man he was. He just, oh. he got the power by accident and used it to make the world better because he right. was a cop and that was what he was, he was trained to do. That was what he was yeah. brought up to do.
6: And that's. The, the thing about DC heroes they do what's right because it's the, it's what's right and it's what separates them from the villains. They gain powers and they immediately do, try to use them to make their own lives better.
0: Right exactly.
6: The so, superhero Marvel or DC uses the powers to help others even to the detriment of their own lives.
0: Right exactly and that's uh, taking it back to Spider-Man again. yeah but I, I always say that sort of the what separates Peter, from all of his rogues, is that they didn't have Uncle Ben. Doc Ock didn't have somebody who told him with great power comes great responsibility. He didn't have that mentor figure. If the Sandman had that, if the Vulture had that, if Electro or Doc Ock or Mysterio, if any of them had that presence, they would have used their powers to be good guys. And if Peter Parker didn't have that, he would have capitalized on his powers in a wrestling ring.
6: Right. Peter had direction and guidance growing up and he was somebody who got stepped on and all his villains were people who got stepped on and didn't have that guidance and that's why they were evil.
0: But the you know the DC heroes that came out of the golden and silver age they didn't need that extra guidance they had it because they were part of you know the the great depression era and the greatest generation.
6: Well right I think the first wave uh, of superheroes is drawing from mythology. They are perfect made from whole cloth. Never mind all the dalliances that Zeus would make, but you you get where I'm going with that. No, exactly. One aspect of the story that bugged me is when someone gets superpowers and then they immediately have mastered them, Mm -hmm. bugs me a lot. So him getting the power and then immediately knowing he can run across water or or up up the side of a building rang false. Granted... He, lear- he figures out, I think, both of those things in the very first Flash story in Showcase. But he has to figure it out. They show that. He isn't aware that, oh, those are things that he can do with this. And learning what you the, the different applications to the superpower are, in the Flash in particular, one of the most interesting things. And superheroics in general. Because really he was a scientist.
0: Helpful. Because he was a really smart guy. He would go through that process. He approached those things. That's why I always loved the Flash facts, because he was a teacher in a sense. He taught the reader and Kid Flash and the other people that he was partnered with how his powers were great and what made them special.
6: Yeah, so. but, all, but especially DC Silver Age books, I mean, whether they're uh, under Julius Schwartz as an editor doing The Flash and the Green Lantern and The Atom and The Justice League, Or the Weisinger books with the Superman family. Weisinger didn't do the science element of it so much. But getting science involved and coming up with weird ways to apply superpowers were always the hook for the story. And when you just give him full command of them from, uh, from the word go, it loses something. Granted, we don't have a flash vibrating through walls or anything in this, but most of the major applications are already in place here.
0: So, my overall thoughts on this are, I don't like this version of the origin. I think they took a good origin and packed it with too much stuff, and it just didn't work. I do, however, like the idea of the circular nature of him becoming the lightning bolt that struck him, and the way that was brought up through Crisis on it, that in his moment of death, he also sparks his own rebirth, like, in the past and everything. I like that idea. I like the concept. I think it's great. Not how it was presented. I I think it was executed poorly in this case. So I, yeah, this, this bums me out because I love the character and I love his classic origin and I don't like the Mm -hmm. way they redid it. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I wish Roy Thomas had taken a hand in this because it would have been closer to the original.
6: A lot of these, I wonder like, why wasn't this just a reprint book? Mm. You know, if it wasn't broke, this didn't need fixing. Um, it, the original origin wasn't really outdated. It wasn't like he inhaled hard water like Jay. <laughs> it's fantastical, but it makes sense in comic book pseudoscience, mm. Ares' origin does. But what I do like about this, and, and, and as I mentioned, kind of, it seems like they're folding in or nodding to the mopey uh, real origin of the Flash story from uh, 1967, but also the circular thing and Barry uh, giving the powers to himself, It kind of says something about the Flash having a special destiny. And I think this feeds into maybe what Mark Wade would do later, creating the Speed Force, that concept. Mm-hmm. So I think that may have its origins uh, in this story. I, I, I could be wrong.
0: No, I definitely think there's something to that.
6: I, I think you, you said it best. I mean, like this, there's so much crap that they added that didn't need to be here.
0: What are some better Flash stories starring Barry Allen?
6: Oh, I recommend just anything in the Silver Age in general. Um, and then you know, people always talk about the the Carmine Infantino run that, from the '60s and, and the '50s, and that's gold. You can't go wrong with it. But the '70s is a bit overlooked and wrongfully so. Kerry Bates wrote a lot of the stories from that period, uh, and he wrote uh, also wrote wonderful Justice League and. Uh, legion of superheroes and uh, questionable quality superman stories in that time but it's actually a really enjoyable period for the flash lots of great rogue stories and moving into the less uh it's still villain of the month but more uh soap opera subplots uh running along through each issue um that really built towards uh the death of the top and the death of virus um and then the trial of the flash i say take a look at the 70s is what i'm saying Mm -hmm.
0: I know, thinking about like his very early appearances, there are the Showcase volumes, there are the Flash Chronicles volumes. I think if it's not out already, it's coming out soon, I think they're doing a Flash omnibus collecting his first appearances, which is going to be the first 10 or 20 appearances um, in a nice hardcover volume.
6: I think it's looking like DC is uh, discontinuing the, the Showcase volumes pretty soon, Yeah. If- if they haven't already, which is too bad. I really like them. There's a a heck of a lot of Silver Age material that isn't traded still, mm-hmm. and really needs to be, uh, and Bronze Age stuff. But that Flash Omnibus it would probably be a good one. Or yeah, those Flash Chronicles books that showcases. These are great. Yep.
0: Speaking of just a few other random spatterings from the New Fifty Two. Like out of the gate, Flash had one of the stronger books in the first two years when it was done by uh, Francis Manapul and Brian Buccioletto. If nothing else, just the sheer beauty of their artwork on the book. And they did things with visual language, using the art to create new panels mm-hmm. that told part of the story. And it was mm-hmm. just a beautiful book to look at. The stories were good, too. They were fun. Yeah. But just, oh, yeah, get that book for the art, if nothing else.
6: Yeah, and uh, Manipole was working on Flash pre-Flashpoint as well. Mm -hmm. And that's some good stuff. Yeah, Beautiful stuff.
0: Yeah, when they first brought Barry back, when they first gave him his his story during the Brightest Day era. And then the last one that I did want to bring up, because it has maybe my favorite Barry Allen moment of all time, it's JLA Year One by Mark Waid and Barry Kitson. It's the revised version of the JLA that includes Black Canary, which I do not like, even though I love love Black Canary, but I don't like her being a founder But there's a moment in that story when they all realize that they've been lying to each other and they've been keeping secrets from each other. And they're basically their founding team is about to break up because they realize they just don't know each other and they don't have any reason to trust each other. They're all just like ready to turn their backs and go their separate ways. And there's nothing holding them together. And then Barry takes his mask off and he says, my name is Barry Allen. I work at the Central City Police Department. And that's it. That's the moment when they're like, oh... Hey, this is who I am. And they all reveal their identities to each other. And up until that point, they hadn't done it. They'd been, they'd been keeping their own secret identities private. And Barry was the one who knew, no, we need to trust each other. Otherwise, we're going to crumble. And that, that moment, oh, I love that moment that he has.
6: Yeah, I got to say, uh, and I'm with you, uh, that the post-crisis... As far as one of the biggest flaws of post-crisis DC was that retcon to where the, the Magnificent Seven were not the founders of the JLA, but the Five, right. you know, excluding the Trinity. That and the there was never a Superboy, and so messing up all the Legion stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
6: probably the two biggest post-crisis headaches for me.
0: Well, Nicholas, thank you very much for being part of this episode of the Secret Origins Podcast. Where can people find you if they want to hear more from you?
6: Uh, well, you can find Comic Reflections on iTunes or Stitcher. We're uh, on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, at uh, ComicReflections.WordPress.Com.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. This has been a great talking to you. It's
6: been great, Ryan. Thank you for letting me ramble. <laughs>
0: Before getting into the listener feedback from last episode, I wanted to give a shout-out to another podcast that I've started listening to recently. This is actually a show that Nicholas Prom turned me on to, but strangely was not his own show. The podcast is Teen Titans Wasteland. It's my new favorite thing. I've binge-listened to the first 14 episodes. The show is hosted by Nathaniel Hubbard, and every episode he recaps one of the classic Silver Age Teen Titans comics, which were written by zany Bob Haney, so you know the stories are ridiculous. Then Hub and his brother drink a glass of whiskey and review the stories. It's hilarious, and it's every bit as stylish and fun as the Teen Titans themselves. I can't recommend it highly enough. Check out Teen Titans Wasteland. Okay, episode 29, the Adam Red Tornado, and Mr. America episode received Twitter favorites and retweets from... The 108th Sage, Alan Middleton, Ange, Charlton Hero, Codename Greg A, Coffee and Comics Blog, David Gallagher, Dead as Hell, Diablo Frank, Film and Water Podcast, The Hammer Strikes, Hicks, Jim Bao, J.R.D. Skinner, Keith G. Baker, Cord Industries, Richard Field, Roldspine Podcast, Steve Chung, Sin, Terrificon, and Trekker Talk. Dead as Hell tweeted, My favorite comic title of all time. Hashtag Secret origins. New Facebook likes and shares came from Aaron Moss, Al Sedano, Alan Middleton, Bradley Null, Brian Rosen, Clinton Robinson, Coffee and Comics Blog, David Ace Gutierrez, Doug Miller, Gene Hendricks, Greg Arugio, Greg Barr, H. Daniel Rybolt, Igor Glushkin, Jason O. Logan, Jay Jones, Jimmy McGlinchey, Keith G. Baker, Lucas Garrett, Luke Dobb, Mario Reyes, Max Romero, Michael Wagner, Mike Zomo, Nicholas Prom, Oscar Alalde, Ruth Sutherland, Sean Emmons, Sean Brock, Terry Wood, Tim Wallace, Van Z, and Zeb Oswalt. Zeb Oswalt said, Red Tornado 1 seems funny, not sure if she was the first female superhero, since there was Fury, the woman in green, or was it red, and possibly Madame Mask. Still, she was a fun character. I don't know much about Mr. America other than the Golden Age comic. Him as a World War II spy who fights crime as a could be a cool comic. Maybe written by Garth Ennis? I know Garth hates superheroes, but he loves World War II war comics, so maybe this guy could work under his pen. Anyway, can't wait to hear the next podcast. Well, thanks, Zeb, and thank you to everybody who supported the show on Facebook and Twitter. Onto to the website comments. Remember, people, if you want to leave a comment for the show, you can shoot me an email at rdailypodcast at gmail.com or post on the Secret Origins entry of the Fire & Water website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com backslash secretorigins. Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast said, Some nice discussion on Identity Crisis. I have to agree, the character bits are well written. But man, I wish that thing had been in Elseworlds. It raked the DCU through the mud and cast aspersions on my childhood heroes. It was the first shot of the new DC that Dedeo and company were forcing upon us, and forced many old timers like me out the door eventually. Yeah, maybe the first five words of Identity Crisis should have been this is an imaginary story. Chris also said, like John, I associate Mr. America with Robinson's Golden Age which, given what happens to the character, isn't necessarily a good thing. But damn, that's a great comic. And it's in Elseworlds, so no harm, no foul, as it sullies some Golden Age heroes. Joe X said, Huh, that ma Hunkel origin is the same as Ted Grant's, inspired to be a superhero by the Green Lantern comic. She was the curator of the JSA Museum and acted as a surrogate mom to the younger JSAers like Cyclone, Stargirl, and Jakeem Thunder. Rob Kelly from the Film & Water podcast said, This issue is one of my favorites because of the three pages by Sheldon Mayer, who proved he lost none of his storytelling and art skills, even at his advanced age. I love that segment, as silly as it is. Martin Gray from the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl said that the Adams floating Justice League chair is the coolest thing ever, and I almost kind of agree with him. Uh, Martin also raised a very interesting question of did Superman ever seek Ray Palmer's help with enlarging the bottle city of Candor? Has that story been told, and if not, why not? Uh, Martin also asked why Hunkel never got a concussion given she was running around the neighborhood with a metal cooking pot on her head. Well, I would ask, how do we know she didn't get a concussion, Martin? Maybe that's why she never became an active member of the JSA. Ange from the Supergirl blog Comic Box Commentary said, I have to say I have never really been a fan of the Atom. And then I stopped reading the rest of his comments because, dumb. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Uh, Ange continued, But I might like to read a story with Frank's idea of Ray Palmer thinking his powers are the best. I have recently read the Broderick-Drawn Plague special and was frightened. What a weird issue. Then Ange mentioned that he never read the Golden Age Mini by James Robinson, and everyone followed up that comment, telling him how great it was. Nathaniel Wayne from 90s Comics Retrial said, Seriously? Why aren't cross-dressing or gender-swapped superheroes the expansive subgenre they ought to be? I'm not even kidding. You'd think we'd at least have gotten a superhero ripoff of One Half, but instead we've got, well, my hunkle, I guess. And Jeff Nettleton responded to that, I had an idea pop into my head after reading about a Comic-Con incident in one of Peter David's But I Digress columns. A volunteer at a convention was a drag performer and appeared as the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman at the convention. No one realized the person was a male until he revealed it. At first, the staffers at the DC booth were cool about it, but they started getting nervous and finally pressured the convention hosts to ask the person to leave. None of the convention goers seemed to have a problem with it, though. Now there, I'm not sure if Jeff means that the convention-goers didn't have a problem with the performer being male or with the performer being asked to leave, because those are two very, very different things. Uh, Jeff continues, though, I thought that a cross-dressing, drag-oriented, or even transgender superhero could make for an interesting and unique book, and had a few plot ideas, but doubted there would be a huge audience for it, unless it came from someone with the status of a Neil Gaiman. Uh, I responded to both Jeff and Nathaniel that there was a trans villain in the first arc of Batgirl of Burnside. I don't remember all the details, but I know there was some internet outrage from trans groups that were finally getting a representative in mainstream comics, but they were kind of pissed off that it was a psychotic supervillain. Uh, As for Jeff's other idea, I don't know if it would take a really high-profile creator to do a project like that, If it is an underrepresented market, and I think that it is, the status of the creator should really only serve to attract casual readers who might be turned off by the concept of a trans protagonist. Then again, maybe that's only true of the mainstream comics at DC and Marvel. Maybe it wouldn't matter at Image or Dark Horse or one of the indie publishers who already put out niche material. Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine podcast said... As a concept, I'm quite fond of Ma Hunkel as an everywoman vigilante of minor crime. Not everyone has to be a grim nighttime avenger fighting for the soul of a city at the cost of their own, and I appreciate Ma's atypical but practical proportions. Thick gals can literally kick your average ass. In my limited exposure, Sheldon Mayer's mode of comedy doesn't align with my own, so I would have no serious interest in reading any more vintage, scribbly, or red tornado stories, but I'm glad he basically said, I already did this Secret Origin fifty years ago, so here's just three pages of gags I thought up since. Pay me. Now that's funny. No, I'm more interested in Mahunkel's legacy, and I don't mean as an easter egg den mother to JSA Jr. Ryan and I share a strong appreciation for comic book icons, but you know who isn't an icon so much as an automated ambulatory cliché? Not the Vision himself, John Smith. The fire engine red Ford Pinto of superheroics, with perpetual Nancy Kerrigan y cry face, whose only legacy is a landfill of heel turns, re-retcons, emotion ships, and arms fall off lad battle-damaged parts is neither the red tornado we want or need in 2016. The manga explosion of the aughts primed lady-type peoples for superheroines, and DC has little pedigree to offer that didn't derive from JLA hero drawn with boobs. Lois Lane does not need a codename, costume, or powers, but I thought her Earth 2 version was a step in the right direction for a feminine mantle hijacked for far too long by a robot who chooses to represent as another white heterosexual male. And then Frank goes on to describe his fantasy revamp of the Red Tornado character, which sounds a lot more interesting because I too never liked the JLA Red Tornado. Uh, Jeff Nettleton wrote in again, responding to my unease about the visual of Mr. America using a whip. Jeff said, I get what you are saying about Mr. America's whip, but it was a favorite weapon of movie serials of the era, such as Lash LaRue, Zorro, etc. That's why Indiana Jones has one. And right, I understand the whip was popular in the pulps and serials, but again, Lash LaRue and Indiana Jones weren't nationalist heroes. I guess Zorro kind of was, but he didn't have the flag as his colors, and he was whipping the oppressors. Mike Gillis from Radio vs. The Martians said, To chime in a little bit on the identity crisis conversation that Ryan and Frank had, I agree quite a bit with you guys that the series was both well-written and very well-drawn. Rags Morales is a definite favorite of mine, and I think he did the characters justice. And Brad Meltzer is a good writer with a strong sense of character. But he was totally wrong for this book, and this book was totally wrong for these characters. Brad Meltzer is primarily a crime fiction writer, which is a genre built on moral ambiguity. There are a lot of great crime stories about good people who do a bad thing for the best of reasons and the consequences they pay for their choices. That's not a story you tell using the actual DC characters, particularly the Justice League. The idea that they would not only wipe Dr. Light's memory, but rewrite his personality to make him less harmful? This is exactly the horrible thing that the JLA's analogs over in Squadron Supreme did, and were rightly branded monsters for doing it. These are exactly the sorts of stories that you have to use analog characters for. This is why Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons didn't use the actual Charlton heroes in Watchmen, because they actually wanted to use them again. This is why reboots and continuity ultimately don't matter, because characters are not continuity. Characters are memes, and when you use a character in a poorly thought-out way, you add to that meme. And sometimes, if the idea is shocking enough or memorable enough, no number of reboots or retcons can ever make fans forget about it. Henry Pym is the perfect example. The moment Marvel published a comic book that had Hank striking Jan, they set that character's destiny for decades. This is likely why he isn't the main character in the Ant-Man movie, and it's absolutely the reason why every writer who wants to portray him in a heroic light has to first have the character apologize, again, for a poorly thought-out story written about him from 30 years ago. What's the first thing many fans will tell you about Henry Pym if the subject comes up? That he's a wife-beater. And that's why it's dangerous to turn the second tier of the JLA into amoral mind scramblers and Dr. Light into a rapist. And this is especially why it's dangerous to imply that Superman knows about it and turns a blind eye, or ear. Because these are serial characters that have to be handed off to a new creative team, and stories like this really run the risk of permanently damaging them. Take the JLA out of Identity Crisis and replace them with a different space cop, archer, sorceress, and speedster, and all of my issues disappear. One-story analog characters are allowed to be broken and left unusable at the end of the story, and there are some questions and some elements of realism that you just can't bring into superhero comics. They only expose the absurdity at the center of the genre. Yeah, those are all very excellent points, Mike. Again, I think... You could treat the story as an Elseworlds, but maybe that in itself is not good enough. Maybe they needed to be completely new characters. Very good points. Worth discussing at some point. Uh, FKA Jason from the Silver and Gold podcast said, Call me crazy, but I found Red Tornado to be the high point of this issue. No, I don't think you're crazy. A lot of people thought that. Clinton Robison from the Coffee and Comics blog said, How can anybody not love the Ma Hunkle Red Tornado segment? It's pure comics joy, and yes, it does remind readers why these things became known as comic books. And Clinton continues, Did I miss mention of the more modern Mister America in the Jeff Johns Justice Society of America, or did you guys really not mention them? Trey Thompson, a relative to Tex, appears very briefly, only to be killed and his mantle taken up by FBI agent Jeffrey Graves. It all happened in the same era when Cyclone became a member and Ma Hunkel was a much more regular character, aka the major expansion of the Legacy Characters era. Uh, I know that I read the post-Infinite Crisis era of Justice Society of America, but the only things I remember about it is A, Thy Kingdom Come, which is probably the worst thing by Jeff Johns that I've ever read, stupid idea, badly executed, and B, the fact that Johns kept on introducing more and more legacy characters that he didn't do anything with. New Mr. America, New Amazing Man, New Wildcat, Cyclone it really felt like Johns was just trying to put his stamp or his brand on all of these characters so that in the future, if they show up on a TV or film, he'll get a cut. I know that's a cynical perspective, but the alternative is he just barfed up a series of legacy characters with no intention of fleshing them out beyond, you know, the bare bones names and origins. So, And finally, Siskoid from First Strike, the Invasion podcast said... Red Tornado's story may not have been an origin proper, but it was a what-is-this-character-all-about story that fit in fine." Very good point. Well, that is going to be all for this episode. Once again, very special thanks to my guests Bass and Nicholas Prom. Check out Nicholas on Comic Reflections and Bass on Lonely Hearts and First Strike, both part of the Fire and Water Network. I also want to thank all of my listeners who took the time to leave a comment or a response on the website, the Facebook page, or on Twitter. The Secret Origins Podcast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com backslash Secret Origins or the Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Secret Origins Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at ryandaily01 or you can send an email to ourdailypodcast at gmail.com. The Secret Origins podcast is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed in the show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. And since I make no money off this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening.